cat shoe. Go and get. Get off the fucking laptop, cat. Go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to consider that to be pussy abuse to keep doing that, Mark. Hey, man, you know, it can find another spot to lay its ass rather than my keyboard. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm glad we have that sound bite. Over today because of that. And technology. So I think that we we got a little Commander Cast connection here. Maybe. Tenuous. Tenuous at well, best. CommanderCast.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Commander Cast episode 218. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on September 24th, 2016. I'm your host of the show, William, and that's in 2016? God damn it! <laughs> in the year Future. Time travel. That's not, no, that's not for no, another time travel three months. Within like or, no, that's not for another year and three months. Six it will, months? It will be 2016 when we, no, yeah, it will be 2016 when we do Dragon's Review. Yeah, that's not for another six months. All right. So I'm, <laughs> so, I'm William, I'm your host of the show, that voice you hear over the other side of the internet is Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, everybody, this is Calvin. I'm also the captain of Red Zone. Right, right on the internet, prepare probably tonight for what will probably be the noisiest episode of Commander Cast that you gentlemen and ladies, ladies, have listened to in a very long time. Because currently, I'm actually at work, sitting in the middle of the airport, recording an episode, so... If you happen to hear a lot of background noises or rumblings or whatever the case may be, that's just me. If you don't hear it, great. Then that just means that my editing has actually leveled up to the next point, and I'm able to cut certain things out that aren't supposed to be there. And to help Calvin out, we're going to honor his not being in the proper spot with a 10-second silence. Is anybody also actually joined, paying attention joined. to when the 10 seconds is? <laughs> no. Literally, as I was about to get I, back on Because that, that silence sounded a little bit longer than expected. I was watching the counter. I was literally watching the counter. Literally, as soon as I get, get us back on track, you got to derail there, us. There was no counter. Like, I wasn't. Don't lie. There was, I was. I, I looked down. Like I have three clocks in front of me, and all of them said the same time. And I'm like, nope, that one doesn't have seconds. That one doesn't have seconds. <laughs> this one doesn't have seconds. Hmm. How many clocks do you have, Calvin? Uh, there's one on my phone, one on my laptop from when I was editing SquireCast episode 38, and one on my register in front of me, which has the military time of 1944. So, speaking of military and all that, Mark's joining us today. How was last week? Um, it was alright. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's that time of year, man. So, you know, it was open house last week. This week is going to be, or next week, I can't make it because I got, I got to check. I think I got, like, parent conferences, like, parent-teacher conferences. So, busy this week, man. I don't know. I can't really complain, though, because this is a time, like, teachers complain this time of year, but we just had, like, two months off. So, like, no one's feeling sorry for me. So, that's all right. All right. Also joining us today, we've got Commander Panda Clay. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. I'm doing doing pretty well. Um, Yeah. Not Not too much is going on on my end. All right. Well, we do have a bunch of stuff going on. If you're listening to this on CommanderCast, you know, the website, 
then congratulations, you just had your pre-release weekend. If you're listening to this exclusively from MDGCast, congratulations, you just had your Battle of Zendikar release. How'd you do? Did you pull anything great? Send some, uh, just don't try and do the thing where you try and rip people off for their full art foils and stuff. Like, come on, guys. Exposition stuff. So, let's go ahead and just kind of dive into this. Uh, no favorite commanders this week because Clay's gotta leave early today. Calvin's got the stuff on his end, so we don't know when he's just gonna drop off. Disappear into the Eve purse. Yep, but we might have some dangles where we talk about some commanders, uh, commandery stuff that happened this week or not. Because and this... don't worry, we've got about seven hours worth of dangles still locked into my laptop, so I can always dig into the archives to put some dangles at the end. Yeah, I, he- I, I heard the ones that you posted up this week when our cons thing got hijacked. Yeah, damn those Nazi like... spaces from a different dimension. I was like, but you know, it's okay. We've successfully defeated him, and I have uh, retrieved the files. They are safely within the Commander Cas vaults, being processed and edited as we speak. Excellent. Although I have to say, I was surprised to hear Tom on. I was like, wait, how long has he been saving these for? Forever. Apparently, you actually had the thing where Clay and I read off the comic. All right, so. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and go over our weekly schedule real quick. So, like I alluded to earlier, you can go ahead and catch our latest episodes on CommanderCast Prime on the CommanderCast website every Monday, unless Nazi Space Pirate Ninjas hijacker episodes again, which hopefully it won't, because Kevin and I have kind of worked out a workaround for that, temporarily. Yeah, we've decided a new trade route. We've gone with a new trade route. There's another way to like get things going from one location to the other. We haven't actually. We have to keep it secret because if we don't, then you know those Nazi space ninjas may go ahead and try to ambush us again. Yep, bastards. But for everything else, you've got Tuesday, which is arguing between Journey to Somewhere and Death Builder Spotlight. Journey to Somewhere is my podcast where I drive around for 20 something minutes. Maybe I'm just driving home from work or wherever. And I'll just talk about a community editorial type piece. I'm actually, I've got three locked, uh, locked in the queue, but you didn't see any earlier this week because again, Not trade rep. Yeah. Yeah, but I've got three saved up and then once those are done, I'll just start doing one and just start doing that over and over again for quality control and trying to keep the topics more recent-ish. The other one being Deckbo Spotlight is Mark's podcast. Mark, who do you have lined up next? Oh God, I have like a, I actually have a long list that I have to get to, and I've been uh, put on the back burner because you know, like real life has been uh, intruding. But I hope to contact some people this weekend, start getting the schedule nailed down, man. So that's gonna come back if you guys, if anyone out there was missing it, it's gonna come back soon. I promise. It's just you know, I gotta do job stuff, man. Job stuff sucks. Yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the uh, the highlight of having like just someone else who alternates with you is that if you happen to just need the week off for whatever reason, they just cover you. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday. And also, let's see here. Not this particular Tuesday that you're hearing this episode, but next Tuesday. Actually, if you're listening to us on CommanderCast Prime, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, there may be a special surprise for you on the Tuesday spot. If you're listening to us from MTG Cast, then you may want to go over to CommanderCast tomorrow and listen to us there because there may be a special surprise for you, mm-hmm. old CommanderCast listeners. Yep. Alright, so Wednesday, we've got our strategy articles by Grandpa Growth, and his explanation articles come to an end. It's a fantastic series. I implore you to read them, just if you need help building decks and all that. Fantastic stuff. Thursday, all takes between Rivals Duel and The Stack with Uncle Landrops and Grandpa Growth, of course. Uh, it's uh, also... I forgot that name, did you? No, I was like, wait. No, I, I, got, I, got, the, I got them mixed up. I was going to say Uncle Landrops and Aaron, but then I was like, wait. Hey, can I throw in a quick shout-out? Sure thing. 
So this week, which would be a couple of days ago now, if you guys are listening to this on a Monday, um, Matt came out with another awesome horde deck list. This one's based on sea creatures, which are close to my my little crack and love and heart. Um, and that one's really awesome. We've got a couple of other guest spots coming up pretty quick, and those will probably go up on Thursdays because Thursdays is a good catch-all for guest stuff. Um, just want to throw out a, a shout out to our guest writers, our maybe I'll, I'll say our non-regular writers. So the stuff goes up sometimes, but it's not like on a, a regular schedule. But still, definitely worth checking out. The Commander Cast Irregulars. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like that too. Okay, so Friday. Gross. Yeah, Friday today. Technology segment. Also by Uncle Landros, Aaron, coming out with stuff. Maybe we'll see some stuff from our boys on Squirecast, who asked about writing articles recently. They're a fantastic cool. website, great for beginners, and they're very Australian. Go ahead and check them out. As always, if you want to join in on the conversation, anything like that, you can check us out on our Facebook page, hit us up on Twitter, but primarily... Go populate our Reddit forums. They're looking just a little bare. We've got a couple, we've got like three or four people who regulate there and post stuff, but let's go ahead and get some more. Like, feel free to just post threads and come up with discussion too. Like, come on guys, let's go ahead and start building this community. Okay, so all the pleasantries out of the way, let's go ahead and jump right into it. It's time for us to talk about Battle for Zendikar. And of course, we're gonna start with the commander. So stay tuned everyone, we'll be right back. So, commanders, we have one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Um, I've already talked about the red-white one and how much I think he sucks. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Calvin's going to cover Moonday again. Sweet. Battle for Zendikar. And you know who, what? We get to battle with some brand new legendary commanders. Six of them, by my count. So, unless I missed one? Pretty sure I didn't. Yeah, I think we should do. Alright, so we have six commanders. Divide amongst the four of us. Mark gets the first one, and this one's pretty spicy. This one's actually the only one I'm really looking forward to. So, Drana, Liberator of Malakir, is uh, a lot cheaper than her other incarnation. She's one and two black for a two-three flying first strike. Legendary creature vampire ally. That's a lot of text all at once. Whenever Drana, Liberator of Malakir, deals combat damage to a player, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each attacking creature you control. That's pretty sweet, man. That's this is the this is the only ally that actually does what I want the rest of my allies in my ally deck to do, to do. Like put plus one plus one counters on things and do derpy get derpy ally triggers. I don't know. You know, I saw Jonah and I'm like, wow, this is actually just great for the Alessia tokens deck. Like, yeah, it works great. It works great there too. I don't know. And flying first strike two three, that's not bad either. I mean, it doesn't have death touch, but you know, we're not gonna get greedy. Have haste. So. No, she, mm-hmm. no, Jonna doesn't have haste. But you know what? She, she, have she does have a low. No, no, she nope. has flying and first strike. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought she had haste. No, no, oh, no, she, no she would she be amazing if she had haste. Like not, she's good. She, okay. but she would okay. be I stupid amazing. Yeah. And I remember now. It's not that she had haste. I kept thinking of her in the Alessia deck because Alessia would put her in uh, tapped and attacking. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. my bad. Oh. I mean, you know, if, if there's if there's a million different ways to to give it haste, but just like. Two three flying first strike for three. I'm good. Like the the plus one plus one counter on the on top. Still pretty sweet. I don't know. Like this one might be one of my favorite cards out of the set so far. Also, can I just say she actually fits perfectly as the tiny leader for the black deck I'm making for Uprising. Mm-hmm. Like, good point. Good point. Like just she aggressive. A, t- a very oh, aggressive. You could actually black. make a vampire themed deck now for tiny leaders with her at the top. It's true. I mean, she's going in my Olivia Voldar derpy vampires deck. So. And she, we're gonna get into this later, but 
They've stapled ally onto most every humanoid creature in the set. They have, and they still made it kind of shitty on most of them, too. So, sorry. I'm, like, really salty about this set, man. (laughs) I'm really disappointed in this. Well, when you think about it from, like, a a flavor perspective, this is an entire world being devoured by pretty much a god. So everybody here that decides to fight against that god is an ally, whether you admit to it or not. If Galactus showed up right now and tried to eat the planet, everybody that fights him is allies. Whether it's Russia and Japan and USA and China or whoever else, all of us are working together to save our planet. Oh man, it's Independence Day all over again. See? Yeah, but the difference here is, is like, you know, I'm I'm not sure if you can just shove a rocket up um, Ulamog and blow him up. This I'm pretty sure that's not how he works or it works. She? It. Slim. It. Slim. Slim or slur. That's what Futurama advocates yeah, for that, yeah, as well. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That, that's not how slur works. Let's see. I'm actually on the opposite side of Mark. Like, I actually like the fact that most of them are allies. But I guess I we'll get into like the fact they're allies. I just don't think they're very good. Like, they're just not very good goddamn cards. <laughs> that's my problem. Okay. The so ally part is not the problem I have. Like, the, the part I, the problem I have is that they don't do the shit that I want to do. Like, there, there are, I can count on one hand with some fingers to spare the amount of cards that I want to put in my derpy allies five color deck. And that's a problem. Okay. Like, if your entire set has allies in it and there's almost nothing I, I'm excited to put in my allies deck, we got issues, man. Alright, tell you what. We'll talk about the ally thing when we get to Munda since Munda. Munda sucks. Munda. Yeah. Alright, so did anyone else have anything they want to say about Drana? I just wanted to say that Munda sucks. Is that, no, that doesn't really count, does <laughs> it? Oh, we're not there yet. Alright, so we have the next one. Uh, who had Zada? Zada, Hedron Grinder. Three and red, three three, legendary creature, goblin ally. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets only Zada, Hedron Grinder, copy that spell for each other creature you control that that spell could target. Each of those, each copy targets a different one of those creatures. Basically, Precursor Golem, but for all of your creatures. And it's only stuff that you cast. So if your opponent casts a Doomblade on Zada, they don't actually just wipe the word, which is kind of sweet. Yep, and then you get the people who are talking about it were like, well, you can just Chaos Warp it. Yeah, but that's... I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, do you realize how much shuffling That's a really nice involved? way to put that. That like, would be yeah, hilarious, I though. Um, let, me, let me find this list that someone posted on the internet uh, of trying to use them in uh, Dual Commander, but um, basically using Zada to generate card advantage. Um, let's see. Like, uh, well, what, like Zada, you put down Precursor Golem. You cast I mean, you Rite could, of Replication to on Java, right? Um, but you basically, like, if you have a bunch of dudes that generate tokens, um, and then, okay, it, it, it plays a card that I have never actually seen before. Um, Teleptor's Edict costs a red, it's an instant. Exile target permanent, you owner control, draw a card at the beginning of the next turn's upkeep. So if you have, like, five tokens and Zada, you're just like, I'm going to pay a red and draw six cards next turn. And then you got people, then you got people in the comments for Mythic Spoiler that are talking about like, well, you can play Zada in the other 99, and then just go right of rep. So, even though you don't get multiple (laughs) Zadas, everything else you control just got right of rep. Possibly kicked. Or if, or if you're still in mono red, you can like twin flame. True. And isn't that what I just said? (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Zada, Precursor Golem, cast right of replication on Zada. (laughs) 
wait for the judge to cry. <laughs> I already am. See, I was just thinking about him from like a, I don't know who's the uh, who's the like the husband and wife from Theros that had heroic triggers like the the Boros colored one. Annex and that would be Annex and There we go. So like Zada in like a heroic triggers matter deck like that seems kind of cool to me because then you can get the, a bunch of them. Except the copies won't trigger heroic. Is the yeah, because the copies don't get cast. It's just copy. Yeah. All right, well, fuck you, Zada. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, but you... Uh, see, see, the problem with here, Mark, it's not Zada's fault. It's just that heroic sucks. All right, I'm good with that, then. Yeah. Like, heroic is a mechanic that we've been trying to get to work. But it's like almost every time you come up with a, ooh, this would be cute, and this will work, and it's some, like, nah. somewhere along the lines, you're like, nope, because this has this particular way of phrasing it. That doesn't work. Almost nothing good you can think of actually works with heroic. False. <laughs> Enchantress. Doesn't really count to me. Uh, I don't know. Rem- remind me to get salty about heroic at the same time I'm getting salty about converge. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So does anyone else have anything on Zada? Uh, Zada's a goblin. And that's a girl for calling it. Oh, a girl goblin. goblin. That, makes her gob- that makes her amazing. Yep. And four 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 three three is a goblin allies. So you can play it in allies and have it target your allies. You know who I'm actually, what I'm actually surprised at, though? And, you know, this is just kind of like out of... Actually, you know what? I'll get to it when we get to the Interlegends list. Continue. All right. So, let's see. Who do we have next? We had Omnath, Locus of Rage. Yay, I get to go again. Omnath, Locus of Rage is probably the most hilarious name of a card I've seen in a while. Also, why doesn't it have a subtype Locus? I wanted to tap from. I wanted to help my cloud post, man. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. Um, anyways, <laughs> the new Omnath, Omnath Locus of Rage, costs three red, red, green, green, so significantly more expensive than the Locus of Mana. Um, and for that seven mana, you get a five-five legendary elemental that has landfall. Whenever a creature or whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a 5/5 red and green elemental creature token onto the battlefield. So basically, it, it's it's like a reverse Titania. Whenever a land comes in, you make another one. Whereas Titania makes another one of herself whenever one dies. However, whenever Omnath, Locus of Rage, or another elemental you control dies, Omnath deals three damage to target creature or player. Bolt. <laughs> I can't wait to see someone have both this and Titania and cast Scape Shift. Oh, dear God. It'll be amazing. And, like, people were already talking about, like, oh, if you have the uh, the Amulet Vigor and Perilous Foray. Yeah, that too. Just, it just goes infinite. Or near infinite. Just empty your deck out of all lands and just bolt everything. Yeah. Ugh, love it. I, I need to build an Omnath Elementals deck, where one of the win conditions is either Scape Shift with Titania and Omnath or, you know, Perilous Forays with Omnath, or using Omnath as a way to kill people with a Revelark loop. Actually, that brings <laughs> up an interesting point. A lot of people are really hyped up for Omnath. So he's really cool. Yeah, he is really cool. Like, he's a legit, he's a great card, he's powerful, he looks awesome. Like, yeah, Omnath is going Hulk mode on those fucking Eldrazi. But the only concern I have is, out of all the commanders that we have today, I think Omnath is the one that you have the best chance of seeing overplayed for the next four months. Mm. And I want to see if, and just, you know, kind of a, a quick question of how many times does it take you guys to get kind of sick of seeing a single commander, and do you think Omnath fits that title? I personally think that Omnath could easily fall into that category as far as, like, a commander's concern. 
But I think that the Drana would be the commander that I think would probably be, like, the one that would make me sick the most. <laughs> I think, um, as much as I like this new Omnath, I think I prefer him in the 99. Maybe it's just because I've been playing Borborygmos in Rage a lot. But I would rather put Omnath into a Borborygmos deck than put Borborygmos into an Omnath deck. Yeah. I'm definitely with Clay on that one. I mean, he seems really cool. I'm sure you could do, like, ridiculous, stupid things with him. Um, and he does have that just awesome Hulk mode thing. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As as a general, I'm not super excited about him. Why not? I mean, for, for the same reason that Clay just stated. Like, I would rather see him in the 99 of a Borborygmos deck. You know, like, there's just something... And maybe this is just a, a dumb, like, flavor reason, but the idea of Borborygmos is chucking lands at people's heads. Is just, it, like, it edges out the cool factor of just getting a 5-5 five, five elemental. Like, 5-5 five, five elementals are awesome, dude. But, yo, I just chucked a land at your face. <laughs> That's, I don't know, man. I just put, like, I, I realize, like, I'm not doing the same thing. He bolts you, et cetera, but I'm sorry, man. Like... Yo, that Cyclops just chucked, like, a piece of the town at your face. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, there goes City Hall. <laughs> exactly. I, I would have awesome. to, I'd have to second mark on that one, because when you think about it, like, we have two commanders, both have, like, a land-based concept or ability going on with them. The one that's literally throwing lands at you, good. The one that's using lands to do other stuff, I'm pretty sure we can find other commanders that could fall into a similar category, you know? Mm-hmm. I Very will... cool use of landfall, though. Yeah. It is. I'll be looking forward to it's, putting one into my Yasova deck. It's better rampaging Bayloths. Definitely. Actually, I'm not just good. It's just really, like, really stupid good in my Yasova deck because it kind of has like an elemental sub theme in it. Just because I'm using so many of those Mold Drifter type cards that have Evoke. Yeah. Already for the bouncing clone and flicker shenanigans. Yeah. Dude, Bolt Draw Two. That's amazing. <gasps> <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Okay. Wait, are you talking about the orgasm you just had? Or are you talking about... <laughs> like, like, I, like, I knew it was going to be good, but then, you know, just Clay put in the words. It's divination with a bolt attached to it. A little bit there. I wasn't really sure if you were still talking about the orgasm. but. Right. So, let's see. Next commander. This one's one that I'm going to read off, and one that I actually have the prototype deck already built for. It's why I spent my day off from work doing this today. So, Noyandar, Royal Shaper. For three white blue, you get a legendary creature, Merfolk Ally. So whenever you have to insert a sorcery spell, you may put three plus one plus one counts on target land you control. If you do, that land becomes a zero zero elemental creature with haste that's still a land. So I, I saw this guy and then I just kind of forgot him a little afterwards because like, you know, there wasn't, it didn't really stand out to me at first. I was like, okay, it's just Tauran only with lands. But then people started talking a little bit about how they were going to look at the Noyan Dark, the Noyan Dark deck. And so I kind of jokingly say, not, you know, I'm going to make the list first or whatever. You know, just, it's whatever. But then, the more I look at him, and the more I looked at what I had for Blue White, like, my Blue White deck was just, it's just, was just kind of a mess of, is it Lavinia or Brago? It's just kind of a blank deck. Eh. And I just got done talking last week in the cons episode about how I kind of got bored with, I wasn't really looking forward to it, and how it made me realize I needed to take that deck apart and merge it with Kahiji to, <clears throat> to make an awesome Marath deck. And I William, what? Don't you mean this week? Because that episode will be on today. No, no, no. I mean, for me, I spoke of this last week. For you, the listener, it was last episode. There is a difference. It's not last episode. It's this episode. It's an episode from this week. It's the same. It comes up. They're getting that episode the same time they get this. It's a double post anyway. Time travel shenanigans. Shut up. 
<laughs> I'm confused. Point b- being, Noy and Dar, the more I thought about them and the kinds of cards I would actually put into it, the more I actually just got really excited to just brew this deck and just pull things together. So when I got home early on Wednesday, first thing I did was unsleeve the Azorius deck I had before. And then I just started pulling all the instants and sorcery stuff from just the deck before, my collection. And I realized, huh, this is actually going to be a very reactive deck. You know, and I like that. Like, I've always kind of been fascinated by the aspect of a deck playing no creatures. And that's why I want the Noyan Dark deck that I made to be. I want it to be just almost completely no creatures. I've got a Tauriand in there because he's essentially Noyandar the second. Although other, apparently there's a card out there that's puni- that can punish people for not playing creatures. I forget what it's called, but people have pointed it out to me. So there's a bit of a safety valve there. But what I essentially came up with deck-wise was, okay, I've got like 16 cards that are either artifacts, enchantments, a creature, and a sorcery. Everything else is instants and lands. I literally have, in this prototype list, 42 instants and 41 lands. And I am actually, I, I'm just really excited to play this deck. It's a bit, I was afraid that it would be kind of a, just a, a boring ta- mono blue tower and type. Oh, I'm just going to play cantrips and counter spells. I'm going to kill you with a bunch of ducks. It's actually a little more than that. Because when you think about it, when you're playing with Talran, you're making free ducks. You know, drakes and mallards, all that. And there's no inherent loss when someone tries to kill your stuff. Because, like, yeah, I just got a free duck, whatever. With Noyandar, though, there's a really cool risk-reward factor when you're animating your own lands. For one, any creature-based wrath, any creature-based wrath, it's just going to wreck your day if you can't, you know, stick that counter spell or that root point defense or, or whatever. So you have to think about, okay, how wide versus how tall do I want to go? Like, whenever I get the trigger off going dark, I can stack those three plus one plus one counters on the same land if I want to. So if I want to put everything on the back of that dark steel citadel, oh baby, I can make that dark steel citadel huge, like having a nine nine land for just three spells. Sweet. The other idea is that, well, I need to go wide because just nothing I can make will be big enough, or maybe I just need to get more attackers through. So you start animating multiple lands and put yourself at more of a risk to wrath effects as opposed to the other one, which minimizes the risk. So there's a lot of really cool situation evaluation here where you have it's it's a very I don't I don't really know how, how else to describe it. It's just a really cool situationally reactive deck and I'm really excited to just play this. So who else had something about Noyan? You know, I was thinking this might be the one time you get to use that that wacky fortification card from oh, uh right. Like I forgot what that was. Is it just Darksteel Fortification? I, like I that think thing's Darksteel Garrison, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah there Garrison. we go. Yeah. It's been sitting in my train binder literally for, like, I don't know, like six or seven yeah, years. Yeah, Darksteel Garrison. Holy I, shit! How, yeah. how did I forget to order this? I was already thinking of building a weird, like, Noyandar French list deck, and I might actually do it just because Darksteel Garrison is actually playable. In oh that my deck. god! I can't <laughs> this is the one. About See, this. This is why I love Commander, man, because I will be staring at a card for years at some times and be like, what the fuck am I going to do with this piece of shit? And all of a sudden, some card comes around and makes it, like, playable. Time to go on a tapped out. Let's get ruined. I just made that order from Card Kingdom 2. Oh, my fucking God. I I don't think I've ever heard William's voice go that high. (laughs) Hey, you're welcome, man. And you can equip it to Lance. (laughs) No. Yeah. 
And that's, that's the thing that I always looked at and be like, who would fucking play this card? Why would you ever want to clip it to lands? And now, now I know. Oh, there you go. Uh, someone, some, someone else talk about Noyan Dar. I, I need a moment. <laughs> uh, Noyan is pretty sweet. Um, it's, it's, it basically staples Awaken 3 onto anything you cast, or onto any instance and sorceries that you cast, but it's not contingent on that spell resolving, which is really cool. Um, it's kind of a weird version of Talran that just does really cool things. I'm looking forward to trying him out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding someone who builds, like, the awesome Noyan Dard deck. You know, just, like, wacky, left field. I don't know, like, it's a cool commander that doesn't do anything. Like, there's no other commander that does what it does, so I think that's pretty sweet. And it has, like, a weird, wacky little sub thing. Like, somebody, like, some Melvin out there is really going to get off on putting this thing together, man. So, I'm looking forward to seeing that list. You're looking at it, Mark. Format, <laughs> dual commander, name, Noyan Dar, Tempo Shaper. I'm going to be spending my whole pre-release weekend just going through bulk rares, just looking for this from our shops. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, actually, I'm going to be busy. Actually, let's see. There's Card Academy in Roseburg, Ohio, which is a fantastic shop. You should come to our pre-releases. And there's, car- let's see, Comic Town that I'm going to, f- to actually play in pre-releases. Yeah. And the thing has to be somewhere. Like, no one so, wants a Darksteel Garrison. Oh, I have one sitting at home somewhere. Oh, I do too, but I'm saying, like, I don't need it. Like, so, it's, and um, one of you guys remind me what Darksteel Garrison does again. Um, Alright, so, so, hold on, hold on. Let me read this off. Mark, actually, Mark. I can't pull the internet up. Mark, read yeah. this off for people who don't know what the awesome bit of deck is. Got you. Alright, folks. So, Darksteel Garrison is a two mana artifact. It's a fortification. I think it might be the only fortification in Magic. It was out of Future Sight. It is. Uh, It's the only one. So the the rules text is a little weird, so keep fortification in mind. Fortified land is indestructible. Whenever fortified land becomes tapped, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And you fortify, which is basically the same thing as equipping it. So you fortify it for three, and you attach it to target land you control. You can fortify it only as a sorcery. This card comes into play unattached and stays in play if the land leaves play. So It can pop itself by one! Yep. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, man. Jesus Christ! There is literally yeah. nothing you can't do with dark... Well, that's... Yeah, sort of. Okay. Just checking, because, like, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, fortify, fortify, what was, <laughs> like, I remember, I remember the, I remember the card, it was, a, I remember it was an artifact, it has dark steel in the name, so that means whatever it's touching is indestructible, or the card itself is indestructible. <laughs> and then, I know it equipped it to lands, but I could not remember what the rest of the text were it was, for the life of me. I'm sitting here trying to remember it, and I'm like, but it's been so damn long since I've seen it, because the card got printed once in, like, Future Sight. Yep. And then I had, like, two copies of it, two or three copies of it. I know I still have them, because I still, like, come through my, like, rares, and I come across it every once in a blue moon. And I think <laughs> to myself, maybe I can find something to do with this, but then, like, I kind of just get past it, because I can't, because I don't really have any land-based decks where my lands are smashing people's faces in. But now, you know, hey, here you go. All you, baby. I'm so happy. Awaken those lands and kill all the faces. I don't even know how I got a copy of this card. Like, I never would have bought it for a deck, and yet somehow no, it, it ended up in my trade binder. Who could trade I didn't trade I for it. it. That shit showed up in a pack. <laughs> Did someone just throw it into your Puka trade stuff? I don't know, maybe. Like, I, I wasn't playing during Future Sight, so I couldn't have pulled it out of a pack. Like, but somehow I acquired this card. I don't know why, but I'm glad oh, it, has, it has finally shown a use for itself. So basically, what Mark has done is he's just broken modern, 
uh, <laughs> the Dark Steel Garrison or whatever this fucking card is, is going to end up like blowing up next weekend. We're going to see it like played across Awaken through all the modern decks. Shit, buy them now, people. Reckon. That's just going to be like $80. And you're going to be like, no wonder. It's an- another random card from Future Sight, like Tomagory, <laughs> that nobody saw coming. Until dun, now. Dun, dun. It's, it's, the, it's the next Dark Depths. <laughs> like, the, the right card has been printed just to be like, oh, yeah, now I see where this is going. <laughs> but, like, Dark Depths, like, I again, there's another card I don't even know how I got a hold of. Like, I have a copy of Dark Depths, but I understand what I would use Dark Depths for, you know? Like, you look at it, and you're like, oh, shit, 2020. But you look at Dark Steel Garrison, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Now, but that, now you know, right? So it's, it's just pretty awesome. So. All right. So let's go ahead and completely crash the mood. Calvin, Munda uh, Ambush Leader. Yeah, well, Munda Ambush Leader sucked. I'm not reading it all. One, because I read it off earlier. And it's I basically read it off last week or technically earlier today. And I talked about how it sucked. And quite frankly, it is horrible. There's nothing else really additional we can really discuss about it. And... This is me, the main red-white supporter, as far as, like, Boros and all things, like, aggro are concerned. And I personally can't stand this card. Mark refuses to play it in his <laughs> allies deck. There's another red-white ally that's not in this, that's not a legend that's in this set that would have been perfect for this spot. But he's not, so he's just kind of floating around, which I, he's not, like, what was it, the one that gets double strike when he enters and the allies show up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have been perfectly fine. Mundo, what is it? He, no, he just does like this weird thing where he like looks at the top couple of cards of your library to see if you have any allies. Doesn't give them to you in your hand, no, because that would just be too good, apparently. So he puts them on top of your deck, so you kind of don't really get anything going. So if you're not really playing allies, you ain't really getting anything out of it. And, and all honesty, I'm actually kind of embarrassed that this guy is red and white because there's nothing aggressive about him. Yes, I think the only, yeah. I think the best thing he had, not, yeah, he has haste. Like, what was it? Like, I would have rather had the haste had been taken off of him, and he had had Defender. Yeah, I would say, I honestly, I would have taken that. Like, you know what? In fact, I'm not even going to call him Munda. I'm going to call him Munda, because that rhymes with Fumunda cheese, because that's what I fucking think of this dude. He is the worst fucking thing I've seen. I can't believe they have an ally mechanic. Again, I know I, I'm going to say this so, so many times. They have an ally mechanic that I'm so not excited to put in my fucking five-color allies deck, which is the only place this motherfucker would ever go. And he sucks. He sucks so bad. And the worst part is now I am so worried about the Boros deck coming out for the Commander product. I'm so worried, because if this is the kind of legendary Boros... Yeah, like, Jesus Christ! Can you imagine if there's just, like, you know, whatever, and then this dude, like, hey, look it, it's awesome, yeah, fuck this guy! Fuck this guy with all the dicks! I fucking hate this guy! You know what? Now that you've said that, you've just kind of put a little bit of fear into me, because... Before, when we got like our commander decks, we usually got three legends. Like, you know, like here's a new, here's two new, two, two new ones and an old one. The last time we got a commander deck, we only got the one like key legend to build the deck around and maybe like one creature. So it's either A, I'm going, I may, maybe get a good legendary Boros creature. And if not, I might just get stuck with two jank creatures that I don't even want to use as my commander. They're just there for the colors, which when you think about it and you're playing Boros, is actually kind of sad. Because there's yeah. plenty of other red, white Boros legends that you could potentially be playing if you want to use the colors, that you wouldn't have to use them just so you can have the colors. Red, white ain't that difficult. Red, red ain't that hard. All you gotta do is just put a big dude down 
has haste and attacks has a low mana cost. You did it for Drana. He's and Drana is in black. She ain't even in the aggressive color. But yet somehow she has flying and first strike and she gets to pump people. Why couldn't that possibly have been the card that had the red white in it? Hell, I would have taken red, white, black in this particular situation. Yeah, let Drana go right ahead and go ahead and smash all the faces in. This is some bullshit and I'm actually pretty upset about it. So right, yeah. then. Let, let, let's move on to the next uh, legendary hold on. creature. Shout out to our friend Stark Maximum because I was talking to him about Munda and he actually has a Boros deck because Boros is his favorite colors, obviously. Where the idea is that he has every legendary Boros commander in it and he can just shuffle up the commanders and pick one at random and the deck will play fine. When I talked to him about Munda, the first thing he said was, Munda, fuck this up for me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I knew I love Stark for a reason, man. Yeah. Like, there is no deck that wants this fucking card, man. You know, I'm, I'm with Calvin, man. Fuck this card. This card ain't good for my blood pressure. We gotta move on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds that? like... See that? This card is messed up Boros. It's messed up Stark's deck. It's, it basically pissed me off. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not really upset as far as, like, Boros is concerned because I know that Wizards has their curves, and inevitably, I was going to get stuck with some shit that didn't work. <laughs> I know it's going to happen sooner or later. I mean, too many good red-white legends was coming out between, like, the God of Lift and the various angels we've gotten and Annex and Samidi. But I was kind of hoping that Annex and Samidi would have been the quote-unquote crap one, where it's like, yeah, we could do it, but we'd rather not. But this, no, no one wants to do this. And quite frankly, it's going to probably take another two Zendikar blocks, like a two Zendikar blocks where we have allies repeatedly again before we have enough red-white allies for me to even try to think about building a deck with this jerk. So it sounds like Munda is Mundane. Let's go ahead and move on. (laughs) All right. So our last legendary commander to talk about is, of course, the big daddy, Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. For 10 mana, you get a 10-10 legendary creature 10 Eldrazi 10-10. There's a lot of 10s on this card. So when you cast Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger, exile two target permits. That's already really good. Like, for one thing, in the Shrunk, those become a lot more prominent in Commander, to the point where people are playing exile effects like they should be. I like this. think that the gods help actually encourage this, which, okay, good job. People have adapted. Ulamog himself his indestructible. This is not that's not really a surprise, you know. Original Ulamog had indestructible. Um, this next part though, it's it's like two tens stacked together. Whenever Ulamog attacks, defending player exiles the top twenty cards of his or her library. Now, before I pass this off, I want to say right now my colorless commander is Kozilek because I like being able to draw the extra cards, get some gas going. He's also a two hit wonder, but I think Ulamog might actually be the less feel-bad of the two, just because this Ulamog doesn't have Annihilator. And while, yes, I did just wipe out a fifth of your deck in one attack, one, you can still chunk block this one and not lose a portion of your board state. Because recently when I was bringing Kozilek out to try and test him and get him start ready to get primed for a battle for Zendikar, I got into a situation where, okay, there's like two players alive, I've got Kozilek out in like turn six because... Soul Rain be crazy, but I actually kind of feel bad for whoever I just attack with, because now they just lost, like, at least two lands. At least with Ulamog, they get to keep their lands. So, what do you guys think? Alright, so I got a judge question here. So, it, so say I have, I put Ulamog in, like, my Derpy Artifacts deck, which has a million different ways to get, like, infinite mana. So, with infinite mana, 
infinite Carlos mana. Can I cast Ulamog, exile Ulamog, and something else from the other guy's board, put no. Ulamog back in the no. command zone and keep doing it? No. Okay. Not unless you... It's a cast trigger, so he's not even on the field when it happens. Yeah. Shuckers. Yeah. So you get that exile, but you do get that cast trigger, even if they counter your giant 10 mana destructo demon. Alright, I'm good with that. Which, actually, the thing I've been finding about Kozlek is that, even though I enjoy drawing cards, if I get him out normally, like, just on normal time, like, not the stupid accelerator, I got turn one soul ring into other stupid mana rocks fast, mm-hmm. I actually find myself wanting to Ulamog instead to help get rid of, like, the one or two problematic permits that's about to kill me. Mm. So, like, I do like his catch-up factor. Hmm. Right. Gavin, what do you think? Gavin? He he's prob- well, let's see, he's at work, so he's actually probably just dealing with a customer. So, what do you guys think about Ulamog there? Okay, I'm back. Oh, okay. I was in the process of pulling metal gates, and I didn't want that to show up on audio. Okay, there you go. So, Calvin, giant Eldrazi monstrosity, what do you think? Uh, see, the one thing I like about this card is because it has that, like, exile to top card, like the top 20 cards of your library. So, like, yeah, it's devastating in, like, certain formats, but then, like, other formats, like ours particular, it doesn't really, like, ruin the whole fucking game instantaneously. But the other thing I find good about it is because since it's upon, it, he does the exile upon attacking, right? No, yeah. Uh, yeah, upon attacking. So, yeah, so, yeah, he's gonna be a card that I would potentially put in one of my decks because I have a lot of decks that have a lot of extra attack phases, so I prepare to lose everything, people. <laughs> okay, uh. Like, uh, like, Ulamog with, uh, right, with a, with a, a aggravated assault sitting on the field just waiting, just waiting, swinging, lose 40. Uh, I mean, you're not wrong. But then again, but then again, he's a 10-10, right? He's a 10-10 for 10, but he's he also colorless, so literally any deck can run him. Uh, you know what? Actually, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that probably wouldn't even really work. Because you know, actually, no, he, he, as long as he's being blocked, as long as he's being blocked, no, because I was thinking like, because if he just kept attacking, he would mm. kill you before he milled you. Well, yes. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But so that's like, like, but, like, but if, but if your opponent still has a bunch of creatures and you and you're able to get uh blocked or whatever, you could just go ahead and mill someone out. Yeah, Wait, is the twenty at the person that he attacks? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's defending Blair. Yeah. Yeah, so like, if I, I got my, if, I, if I've got my Noyandar out and he's animated the land, I've equipped him with the Darksteel Garrison. He can block the Ulamog all day, but I'm gonna not have any cards to play with on my next turn, and I'll lose. <laughs> also true. Unless, of course, you have the other Ulamog in your deck, in which case... Oh, no, it's Exile. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, that, 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 that's guaranteed game ending at some point or another. I actually kind of like that, because this Ulamog kind of negates his previous form. Yeah, and that's the other thing I wanted to touch on. Guys, we can reanimate this shit. Yes, we like, can. Like, Mono White Reanimator just got a very strong finisher. Hmm, man, I have really been wanting to build a Mono White Reanimator deck. Actually, you know what, this, you know, really, this is probably going to end up, now that you've mentioned that you can reanimate this, this thing might actually become a problem and expensive because you might become, it might become a new target in like, um, Legacy and Modern Day for reanimator. Well, you already have Emerald, so. They, they have I mean, better I'm, stuff. Yeah, but in, yeah, but in, you can't use Emrakul in Legacy as like the reanimator target. No, but you can use Grizzlebrand. They can't, they, yeah, they can use Grizzlebrand, but what Grizzlebrand I'm saying is like, Iona if you're, yeah, like you're using Grizzlebrand. Yeah, you have Grizzlebrand, you have Iona, but if you're going for, like, another, like, type of mill-type strategy or a way of, like, exiling, like, the library or whatever, this could potentially be a target for one of those. <laughs> I mean, just, like, an alternate win deck, win condition. He's not wrong. 
Because against oh. us, it's like, you know, yeah, you lose 20 cards, but that's okay. You start off with 100. In Legacy, you lose 20 cards, okay, but you put seven in your hand, and you only came in with 60. So you basically, by the time this guy gets reanimated, you lost half your deck. The seven you drew plus the 20 off the top. It's pretty sweet. I don't know. Will, what do you think your playgroup who regularly gets super salty about Mesmeric Orb would hate more? Ulamog or Mesmeric Orb? Ulamog. I think they hate Mes, I think they would hate Mesmeric Orb more Mm. because their justification on the Mesmeric Orb is that you basically say we don't get to play magic. That's not true. I know, but like, that's the way they feel about it. Like to them, Mesmeric Orb might as well be fucking Witter Orb. Oh, not, that's, not, no, not even no that's totally different orb. Yeah, no, totally what, different. What was, it? Let's see. What, what was it? Stasis orb? No, no, I was thinking of winter orb. Yeah. yeah. No, stasis orb sucks too, but winter orb is, is like the biggest pile of ass. Well, mesmeric orb is none of those things. Yeah, but for so them, need, it so might as well be. Here's a question. So if you have mesmeric orb and winter orb, and you got them altered, and you made one look like the left testicle and the other one less the right testicle. Then you just watch someone like. Yeah, in which case it's like you're just waiting for, you're just kind of like, you know, dangling your balls in front of the person. Like, which which nut do you have the problem with the most? You're like David Bowie from Labyrinth, just twirling them oh, in your hand. Yeah. Mm. Fun fact, David Bowie's junk actually got their own acting credit from, from in that movie. <laughs> All right, so that's Ulamog the Seasonal Hunger. I'm looking forward to trying him out as a new commander. Happy to see that he's only pre-ordering at 20, 21 right now. I'm grabbing a copy before that spikes up. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if it's going to spy. I don't know. What do you, I mean, do you think it's actually going to see standard play? I mean, I know we don't like to talk about those other formats that don't really exist, but... My theory <laughs> is, if I if he ends up dropping, I still don't feel bad about p- paying 20 for him, as opposed to the potential 30 to 40 I could be paying for him, which I don't, know if, I don't know if he'll get that, but I feel like $20 is just reasonable. Yeah, no, you can spend $20 on a lot worse stuff, you know? Yeah, like, Gideon is pre-ordering at 40 and playing one <clears throat> Bananas. Alright. I don't understand. Does anyone like, I know someone out there must make money on pre-ordering planeswalkers, but like they almost always drop. Almost always. And drop to like ridiculously low prices too. Unless you're the Ugin. Mm, true. <laughs> or like, what was the last modern planeswalker that spiked crazy that wasn't Jace? Um, oh shit, one of the Lilianas. Liliana, what's her name? Uh, Innistrad Liliana. Other than Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel dumb for having sold mine at 50, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in position to sell one of mine now. <laughs> That's right. a good position to be in. <laughs> All right, so that does it for the commanders. We're going to go ahead and spend the rest of the episode just talking about the other 99. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. All right, and now that we've covered the commander... Can- blah, 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 blah. Since you're editing, anyway. Okay. Covered our commanders. Let's go ahead and talk about the stuff that we're going to just start jamming into our commander decks. Because this set has me really excited. There's just a lot of stuff that I want. Like, I might actually just consider buying a box, maybe? I mean, if nothing else, you, each full our lands like at least 50 cents. So, 36 packs is like $18 worth of just lands? Sounds okay to me. Alright. So, my first card is going to be the old fish waifu, Kiora, Master of the Deaths. So, like previous incarnation of Fish Waifu, Kiora costs two green-blue, only this one comes into play with four loyalty. Ah, look at her, sitting on a tentacle, holding the Bidens. 
So this cure comes uh, is going to do. Uh, I think she's going to do some work. So plus one, untap up to one target creature and up to one target land. Like it's not that exciting, but on the other hand, it's also really great for getting some extra utility out of like your mana dwarfs, or maybe you just have like your Cassandra War Color or something like that. You know, just tap effects stuff like that. Minus two, and this is the one that I think is actually what's going to make Cure really good. Reveal the top four cards of your library. You may put up to one creature and or a land card from among them into your hand, put the rest into your graveyard. So one, it's a better mulch, because you're grabbing two things and not just the one. Two, I... Hmm. So I feel like Cure would actually go really well into a Sidisi deck. Like, okay, grab your creature, grab your land... Uh, if there are any other creatures, you just make a zombie. Uh, this, this whole thing, it's, it's just pure card advantage. It's not explored necessarily, but, yeah. And then the limb break. You get an emblem with, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have a fight target creature. Which is awesome by itself. It's like, okay, I'm playing a bunch of sea monsters, they're gonna come in and they're just gonna fight everything. It's literally gonna turn into fight club here. But then there's more. It says, then, put three eight eight blue octopus creature tokens onto the battlefield. So she makes the emblem, then she summons some uh, some big beasties, and then those beasties just start busting everything up. Like, 8-8 eight, eight is still really huge. Like, that's going to take out titans. So, what do you guys think? Right. I have a question I have to ask here. You were a question. Can you read that emblem off for me one more time? Sure thing. You get an emblem with, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may have it fight target creature. Then, after you have the emblem, you get three eight eight blue octopus creature tokens. Okay, so the octopus come in after the emblem. Got it. Yeah, and then the octopus all trigger the emblem. Okay, just octopus. had to double check for that because because part of my because when I first read that the quotation of what the emblem did kind of like I thought it was on the other side of the eight eight octopus and I was like wait a second isn't this like an infinite loop because then they come in they trigger. And then they see a creature into the battlefield, so it sees them, and they get the fight, but then it puts in three more 8-8s. I thought, I I completely misread that. Okay. Yeah. So that completely, like, it's a, uh, it's, that completely fixes what I thought the problem with it was. As a judge, I'm just kind of annoyed at all the people thinking that this is a self-contained infinite loop. Like, oh, you have octopus that come into play. They fight. You get more octopus. Oh, it just keeps triggering over and over and over again. Infinite octopi. And... Just... Well, when you think about it, between this emblem and Kiora's last emblem that gave you, what was it, the um, 8-8 Krakens, I think they were? No. Yeah. Did she give you Octopus or Kraken? She gave you 9-9 Kraken. Yeah, but between this and the last emblem where she gave you the 9-9 Krakens, it's like, yeah, you get three 8-8s, but if you are in, let's just say, Magical Christmas Lane, you get both Kioras somehow to get both their emblems somewhere or another. You basically have a nine nine that shows up and fights things, and three eight eights also sitting there constantly. So inevitably, that board's getting wiped, and you're going in there for the kill one way or the other. Okay, so let's go ahead and keep going. Mark, what's your card? Um, I guess my first card, because I noticed that you grab vampiric rights, will so I don't want to jump on yours. My first one probably has to be ally encampment because duh. Um, I have seen I grab this one. Yeah, it's not. It's not special. Like, you read the title, people, you know what it does. Like, it is it is a land, it adds one to your mana pool, or it adds one mana of any color to your mana pool, spend this mana only to cast an ally spell. You kind of saw that coming. 
or pay one, sacrifice ally encampment, return target ally you control to its owner's hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a rainbow land for allies, in case you yeah. want to build a five-color ally deck. Yeah, I recommend it. It's cool. <laughs> Just not with most of the allies in the set. So. Okay, so... He's looking at you, Mundu. <sighs> Fucking for Mundu cheese. All right, so, Calvin. Yes? Do you have a card that you're excited about? That you just kind of can kind of describe off the uh, top of your head and I can maybe find it? Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Oh, we already talked about the goblin. Oh, find my um, find the red, the actual good red white soldier, the double strike one. Oh, the I double like striker one. Yeah, I know. Oh, I got exactly. him. Yeah, resolute blade master. Uh, resolute blade master. That's something I'm actually looking forward to seeing. Mainly because, like, I'm looking at him. I was like, you know, this is actually pretty good. This is some. This is a creature that I would love to play, and I would have no problem putting in like a blink deck and actually flickering it in and out one way or the other. I've got no problem, like, putting a conjurer's closet on this guy so I can actually get him to continuously come in. That's I would true. have That's no a good it, point. I, I didn't have, think about I'd have that. No problem. Mm-hmm. I have no problem putting a copy of, uh, what is it, uh, what is it, Splinter Twin? I'd put a Splinter Twin on this. Mm-hmm. He's not legendary, so I can use Kiki Jiki on him, right? Yeah. Or does Kiki Jiki have to be, uh, I'm getting Kiki Jiki wrong again. No, I mean, Kiki Jiki's just non legendary. So, yeah, so I could just Kiki Jiki. I could target this guy and <gasps> You can mix Kiki Jiki with that retreat into Korahine with a, like a solemn simulacrum. And just go infinite basics. Whoa, well, hold on. You tell me there's like more ways to go infinite with Kiki Jiki? I just don't believe that. <gasps> Who would ever have thought that? You think that's something, William? Wait till you get that. Uh, uh, you use Kiki Jiki, you awaken a land, you use Kiki Jiki to target that land, turn, make a land token, and then you fortify that land token to make it indestructible. Oh, man! Can't believe it. I mean, I think Kiki Jiki makes the token sacrifice, right? Uh, so it still dies, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. But you know, but still, it was an, it was an indestructible land, and it's awesome. <laughs> you got a chance to hit somebody with an indestructible land holding a fortified equipment. So how many times in your life are you going to get a chance to make that damn statement? <laughs> so let's actually talk about what Resolute Blade Master is and does. So human soldier ally two two for three red white rally. Whenever Resolute Blademaster or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control gain double strike until end of turn. Now, this would have been a great ally commander. Right, because, like, like, all those yeah, other cards... Yeah, about that, Wizards? That, yeah, like, all those other cards that I just mentioned, between, like, the Mimic Vat, the Kiki Jiki thing... Well, not Kiki Jiki in this particular, if he was a legendary. But, you know, between Splinter Twin, Mimic Vat, uh, I don't know, ha- like, half of other dozen other ways of flickering and blinking them out. If this was a legend, hell yeah, that would be a Boros Commander legend guy. You got a guy who comes in and tells everybody that the best way to attack is to hit him twice? Yeah, that's a legend. That's a Boros legend. That's a legendary Boros creature right there. Oh, wait, no, he's not? He's just a dude that happens to be in the army? All right, well, if he's the kick-ass dude in the army, then obviously whoever the legend here has to be, like, you know, some really boss. Like, he's got to have, like, triple strike or some shit, right? No? Oh, what does he do? Oh, he digs into your library and looks for stuff? Uh, all right, well, he's got to at least kick some kind of... Oh, he doesn't? You know, he just has haste, and he spends most of his time, like, archiving and going through folders and filing and arranging and telling people what positions to be in on top of your library before they even attack? Mm, okay, well, that, that kind of sucks. You know what? I think I think I, I found one time where Pomonte cheese wouldn't be so bad. So. Working a desk job at a Good Burger. <laughs> so if someone plays, <laughs> yeah, there's there's that too. But if someone plays like an Avon Mind Sensor on you, and you're like, whoa, buddy, whoa, it doesn't matter. 
because I was only ever going to search <laughs> the top four cards of my anyway. library anyway. <laughs> I was only going that deep anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, you know what? You just take your little flying bird wizard and just go the fuck home. So It's, it's, it's just the tip. <laughs> Can we not use that phrase? Pause. <laughs> Back that up. Nope. Yeah. All Move right. On. Moving on. You know, I, uh, hmm. all right. So, go ahead, Clay. All right. Um, my first card from this block that I'm kind of excited to try out um, is actually a common. It's called Nettle Drone. It costs two and a red. It's an Eldrazi drone. It's 3-1 with Devoid, so it's colorless. Tap Nettle Drone deals one damage to each opponent. Whenever you cast a colorless spell, untap Nettle Drone. I see Mono Red, and I see I get to ping everyone every time I cast an artifact in Kirkash. That is what I see here. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to try and slot this in. It's a little more aggressive than cards that I usually put in the deck, just because it actively deals damage to people. But it's definitely worth trying out, I think. So I actually just like the fact that the Nettle Drone looks like uh, an Iron Maiden that's been turned inside out. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of gross, actually. It is, but it's also fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so... Let's see, what was my next card? Right. Vampiric Rites. Oh. Yeah. This has to be like my number, the number one card out of this set that I'm looking forward to. I will okay. buy many, many of these cards. Let's see, let's see, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Come here. Okay, so Vampiric Rites is a black enchantment for one mana. For one and black, second creature, you gain one life and draw a card. So, it's not Sign and Blood. But it is kind of half of Altar of Reap, which is awesome to set, only repeatable. So already I'm thinking of a black kind of controlly deck that gets to run this and just says, okay, you're going to blow my board position? Well, I was holding stuff open anyway, so I guess I'll just go ahead and get some return on my investment. Like, I could already run this in Gissa and then just leave mana open. And if they're just going to kill my stuff, I can just... Sack the biggest thing, make a bunch of zombies, then sack a bunch of zombies, and draw cards. Mm. Yeah, all the cards, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty sweet that you gain a life and draw a card in black, whereas normally you would, like, just keep killing yourself. So, this is actually kind of a sweet way to counteract that a little bit. And not at all, like, I, there's so many times in, in black decks, or in, like, like green-black decks, for instance, that, you know, you just want to sacrifice dumb little stupid thralls or, or fucking who knows what, I don't know, goddamn surf tokens or something. Who knows, if you're you're rocking out with your Sengiri autocrats, um, you're like, you know what, screw it, Sengiri autocrat, all your little surf dudes, you're going to get me cards and gave me life, so. Yeah. It's just sweet, yeah, man. And it's it's, yeah, it's, all, it's This is actually one of the weird cards from black that actually is like, it's all upside, right? I mean, there's no real down point to playing it. I mean, you, I mean lose a, you lose a creature, but that's it. Losing a creature is uh nego- is negate is negotiable because there's plenty of creatures that you'd be more than willing to lose that will also allow you to still be in the game and still be able to play. Most black cards like this is like the downside to them are like no, you are going to lose the moment someone decides to like tweak this deck correctly. And I yeah. believe like this, this card is like on oh, May, right? You may do this, you may do that. Uh, no, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's a force. Actually, no, you don't like, have to activate no. it, but. Yeah, so it's like, you don't have the choice, like, you have the choice of what you want to do with it. You don't have to use it if you don't want to. It's not going to automatically kill you. 
And it's going to gain you life. It's going to keep you in the game. It's going to draw you a card. It's not, it's, and yeah, you, granted, you lose a creature, but this is black we're talking about. There's reanimate spells. There's some creatures that like dying anyway. You have creatures that have undying and persist in black. So there's plenty of other things that we can do. It's like we can get around to losing a creature, like, no problem. That's like asking if you want sprinklers on top of your ice cream. Yeah, if you, you could easily say no, but if you decide later you want them, you can just go right ahead and take care of it. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Man, Will, your buddy with the uh, the Shire deck is really loving this card. Oh, I bet. Mm. All right. So, Mark, what's your next card? All right. My next card is, again, nothing super special, but I was kind of excited when I saw this. Beast Caller Savant. So, Beast Caller Savant is just like the latest in Mana Dorks, really. He's just the latest and greatest. He's uh one in a green for an elf shaman ally. And this dude, this is one of the dudes who will probably go in my ally deck. Uh, he's got haste and tap at one mana of any color to your mana pool. Spend this mana only to cast a creature spell. So, yeah, he's just good. <laughs> and those creature spells Mark's going to be casting are going to be allies. Mm-hmm. So, something I want to look up quick. But they don't have no, to Alex be allies. Alex is not a subtitle on spells. And so, like, I mean, it's not like it has to be allies, but in the same token, he's an ally. He goes good into an ally deck. You could use his ability on other things, but you're going to be using it in a deck that has creatures mostly anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, he pairs well with uh, Haribaz Druid, the other one, the uh, the human druid ally that adds X mana of one color, depending on the number of allies you have. And, like, she's a boss in that deck. So, like, her plus this dude is a nice way to fix, because my... I mean, I, I forgot who told me this a long time ago. It might have been, jeez, it might have been Noel and Eric on um on their podcast, man, when they were talking about how to build like a five color deck. Like my five color deck is really mostly um like a, like a, a a shard deck, like a bant shard deck, really, or a bant wedge deck rather, with like a little bit of red and a little little bit of black. Um, so for those times when I would need like you know, like an extra black to cast Drana. Because the nice thing about all the other druid, like I'm sorry, all the other allies, is that all the other allies in my ally deck are like like colorless mana and one colored mana symbol. And it's really actually kind of rare to find an ally, except for this set, that has more than one colored mana symbol. Like before, I think it was only like Muramasa Pyromancer who had like two red on him, and he was kind of hard to cast. But in like a five color deck, you know, you want small amounts or, you know, ideally just one colored mana symbol. So like this dude will give it to you if you need it. So if you're running, you know, a wicked dirt, I don't know, like your ally standard deck, whatever, you know, this dude would be good. But he's also, you know, he's a role player and commander. He's not super exciting, but, you know, he'll do some work. So in between it, in between this and your rainbow land, that should be more than enough fixing for the to include any allies into it. Yeah, absolutely, because God knows I am not sinking money into my land base for my five-color allies deck. So... Well, you could, but you know. I uh, saw in the comments... A lot of people would probably hold that against you. Yeah. Although that is the place I put my Cavern of Souls, but... But that's only because, because it's a holding space. Yeah, like I had cavern a Cavern of Souls... Or somewhere else, but... Yeah, and like, what else, what else do... Like, I don't have any other five-color, like, tribal decks, you know what I mean? So it's kind of perfect in that deck, but... Mm. So, I was looking this up, and that is most definitely the Lotus Cobra he has on his arm there. Like, same rainbow hue and all that. Yes, it is. Everything. Hmm. I saw in the comments somewhere, when this card first came out, that apparently, uh, let, let me just read this off. That Cobra, that snake on his arm, 
is a, just a giant fuck you from Watsi to the players. Because apparently, like, people were hoping Lotus Cobra would be reprinted in this set, but I looked it up and Lotus Cobra's only like $8? Yeah, Lotus Cobra's not that much. I yeah. mean, even I, even cheap as I am, I will go out and spend some money for a Lotus Cobra. Like, I... I have had a Lotus Cobra and inevitably I think I've just traded it away when it was actually making money, but I... Not really hurting for a Lotus Cobra, but if I needed one, I could get one. Yeah, so I I just I don't get that. Like, huh? Although that is well, sweet. Wait, 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 remember there are there are some cards in this particular set that did get a reprint that I personally look at and I'm like I consider that to be a much bigger fuck you to me from Wizards than the <laughs> Lotus Cobra. Oh, like what? Oh, uh, uh, there's a mythic in this set. You know, that's a guy. It's a red creature. He's oh, Dragon Master Outcast. Yeah, 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 that guy. Dragon Master Outcast. Like, you know, it's one of those cards that, you know, I remember trying to play with him. Eric uh, from Rivals Duel, he's tried to build decks, include him into them. Neither one of us has been successful ever really using him. Did we have I mean, this I'm conversation sure. before? I think we mu- I think we must have, because I run him in my Goto deck, and I love that dude. Yeah, that thing, like, you've gotten around to doing it. I still haven't. And to me, it's like, you know, like, hey, it's one of those, he's one of those cards that, from my, from my current view, is in that category of extremely awesome or extremely crappy. And it depends on who's, on like, who's playing with them. If you're the guy where like luck sits on your side or the deck you have allows you to get with him or work with him a lot, he's amazing. If you're the guy who's, like, playing a deck like me and I'm trying to get him to work, but he doesn't work, he's fucking terrible. So he really only has two fan bases, those that truly, truly hate him and those that are, like, deeply in love with him. There is no middle ground. <laughs> like, the At best... least with, like, the Lotus Cobra. It's like, you know, Lotus Cobra's like, you know, there could be, like, yeah, I could see him this, I could see this a lot. This guy, to me, nah, I'm good. And especially at Mythic, you know. This is one of those legends. This is one of those cards that I look at as like, if he'd have been a rare in this particular set, I think there'd be no major issues here. And we'd add a spot to, for he next He was at Mythic originally, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was originally Mythic. I don't know, man. Like, the best use for Dragon Master Outcast is bait, man. He is removal yeah. bait. Because people lose their fucking mind when they see him. They're like, oh my god, fucking dragons! It's like, dude, I, I can count the number of times on my hand I've had Dragon Master Outcast trigger. And, like... But the number of times that people will just murder the shit out of him the minute he hits the battlefield for one red mana, I will pay that one red mana because especially like if I'm if I'm doing something in a turn and I'll throw out the Dragon Master first, people will lose their fucking minds. He'll eat the removal and then I'll sneak something else past him that I actually want on the field. You're right. It yeah, should be mythic for that. It totally should not be mythic. But yeah, but that's not saying. It's like it's one of those cards where it's like, all right, when he first came out, I could understand him being mythic. You know, they kind of weren't really. They might not really be sure exactly how this card would play out. Not really sure exactly where he would fall and shake out into certain formats. And you don't want him showing up too much in limited, and you don't want him being like, you know, that big of an issue. So yeah, I could understand making him a mythic because if he does turn out to be good, great. But when he first came out, he didn't really shake up any formats. As far as I can tell now, he's still not really doing much in any formats, except for potentially maybe our format if someone decides to play around with him every once in a while. And even then, he usually just gets dealt with the moment he shows up. So to me, like, what was the, what was the, um, Fauna Shaman? Fauna, Fauna Shaman's a rare, right? Yep. Yep. And I think Fauna Shaman is a way better card than this guy. 
and I would say that if if he's mythic, then she should at least have been mythic. This is one of those cards where I could have seen Wizards going, you know what? We had him at Mythic. He's not really doing that well. We could bring him down to Rare and just have him be in one of the Rare spots. You know, a few more copies of him will go out there. But, you know, anybody that wants a copy of him now can just get them. So it doesn't really matter. It's not like he's flooding the market. And you, they will leave you an open Mythic spot for something else. Maybe we could have made another legendary creature. Maybe we could have got that myth, the Lotus Cobra. I don't know. I don't know. Some other stuff. Just things. Well, you know, He's it, just taking up a spot that I think is wasted. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mention that because the guy I always think of as opposed to Dragon Master Outcast is Scoot Mob, which actually triggers way more often. And he's only at, he's only at rare, right? You know, because they do the same thing. Like at the beginning of your upkeep, they count how many lands you have. And they do stuff if you have more than five lands. Like, Scoop Mob just puts four plus one plus one counters on him. But then you get a five five for one. And that's pretty decent. And it put, and especially if you have like a plus one plus one matters deck, like, then you get to play around plus one plus one counters. Like, Scoop Mob does some work for me, man. And he's only a rare. Let's see. I hear you guys talking about this Dragon Master Outcast. And I just think, wow, what am I doing that's better than what you guys are doing? Because I always manage to get like one or two dragons off this guy. See, uh, there it, you go. It's like not he better than sometimes. what we're doing. It's not better than what we're doing. It's better than what I'm doing with him. Because Mark gets a chance to use him. I've never seen a token come out of him. I've had him. I've gotten to the land count. Anytime I've gotten close to the land count, it either A, didn't matter. And then, you know, by the time I would have gotten a token, it didn't matter because the game was already over. So fuck token. This token's pointless. You know, you could have been a fucking 2020 from Dark Depths and this still wouldn't have changed this game because I was dead. Or two, I'm getting close to getting the token, and then something happens to him, or something happens to my land count, or something happens to this, and whatever. And next thing you know, or he act, or he randomly dies through like a wrath effect. It's not like there's been like it's like he's just like fodder death. Because like with you, Mark, you're saying he gets targeted. With me, a lot of times he just like dies. It's not <laughs> like he's like being targeted. It's just his body is so small that almost anything that happens to the battlefield just kills him. Huh. See, I, I, think, I, I, I totally land. thought he it was like your brother being a dick to you or something, man. Like, you know, like right when you have five lands and you have Dragon Master out, your brother's like, nah, fucking Doomblade that motherfucker. Like, that's what nah. I thought was happening. No, nah, no, nah, not nah, for me. It's like he never really, it's like, does he get Doombladed every once in a while? Yeah, it did occur. But most of the time, it's like, you know, I get him down, getting the lands together, finally got the lands up, about to get that token. Oh, you're going to wrath. Okay, well, he's dead. All right, well, I have a reanimate spell. Am I going to go for this guy or the big-ass, like, legendary elementary that I have in my graveyard that's going to probably, like, draw me some cards? I'll go with that instead. Fuck him. Okay, I could bring him, I could put him back into my library with this effect, but I'd rather put this in there and save myself. All right, well, let's go ahead and get off the the Dragon Master outcast train. But he's the only creature I remember from the damn set. All right, so we just got done with Mark's creature. Uh, Calvin, that counts as your creature. Yeah, no, that's that's why I'm that's why I went so far on talking to about him. Okay, so you know, I can't remember too many of these cards. I do know that there's a Boros Angel in here that kind of sucks. I wanted to get Mark's opinion about that because I know it's an ally. I mean, yeah, no, she sucks. Angelic yeah. captains. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I th- I would have accepted that as the legendary creature too, because at least then it encourages you to play ally tribal. I mean, yeah, it would have been better than Munda. I and mean, that art is beautiful. That is still a beautiful angel art. All right, Clay, next card. Um, the next card that I have um, is, let's see if I can find it on here. Wait a minute. There are the artifacts. Yeah. Uh, it's a rare. It's called a Lined Hedron Network. It costs four. It's an artifact. 
When it enters the battlefield, exile all creatures with power 5 or greater until a Lionhedron network leaves the battlefield. So basically, it's kind of a board wipe, but it keeps them exiled. Um, it has a super awesome art of a bunch of Hedrons kind of encircling Ulamog and trying to trap him. Um, but one thing I realized that I could do with this is I could stick it into Brago and just be like, you guys never get to have big things. You might get, you might get some ETBs every once in a while, but every time you play a bigger thing, I'm going to blink it and exile that under it too. Because everything will come back, then Hedron Network will hit the table and re-exile everything again. In response, pump Aetherling's ass? <laughs> you could do that. You could do that. Um, the, this this card is probably going to see a lot of play in our format, just because big creatures are kind of a staple, and this gets rid of them for a while. Yeah, I can see putting this into it just because artifact-based wrath. <laughs> and plus, goblins are small anyway. True. Sneak right by those rocks. Yeah. True that. So, my next card is Scour from Existence, a 7-mana colorless instant that just says Exile Target Permanent. Hmm. Guys, is this a card that gets put in every EDH deck because maybe it's just missing a color or something to deal with that one type of permanent? Like, do you see this going in just, like, every red deck to deal with enchantments or every blue deck to deal with creatures? I would put it in... I'm not going to lie. I would put it in a mono-black deck to, like, a mono, especially a mono-black deck with, like, you know, Cabal Coffers and Urborg. Because yeah. you're going to get seven. So you're going to do that, and now you have a way to deal with... Artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. But I guess the, the question that I would say is, like, say in my Gisa deck, right? That, what was that, seven mana enchant... Uh, that seven mana artifact that, that would tap uh, over uh, one? Quadopolis? I think it was Obelisk. It came out in 2014. Yeah, Collapsing Sure. But you guys know what I'm talking about, though, right? Like, you got that thing, and then you could pay seven and... Yeah, the mana yeah, rock, they could also do that. One. Yeah, so I, in, in my Gisa deck, like, I'm debating whether or not to slot this guy in an instant for seven. Unstable obelisk. There we go, unstable there obelisk. We go. Or, you know, maybe leave the obelisk. I don't know, but I think it, it fulfills the same function. And I can't remember what podcast it was. Somebody at some point on the, the mana verse was complaining that apparently, you know, like, seven mana is the, the time when you can exile anything now. I'm totally cool with that. Like, if you've got seven mana to burn, you should be able to exile some shit. I'm totally fine with exiling target permanents. I'm totally fine with this going in any deck. I think it's a good move, personally. I would say, like, this and the Unstable Obelisk both go together in this deck, where the downside for the Unstable Obelisk is, is that, you know, you kind of have to leave it out there like a Rattlesnake card. Your opponent sees it coming. They wait till you get to seven mana because they know that you can do it then. But at least with this... You can pop it off without them actually knowing you have it at the time. Mm-hmm. And both of them help take, uh, cause the unstable obelisk takes care of any permanent, right? Yep. Yeah, I think that's, un- that, that's exile yeah. target permanent too. Yeah, so like uh, the no, unstable the obelisk, obelisk is just destroyed. Yeah, so the oh, obelisk just is destroyed. destroyed. Oh, well, fuck that then. Scour from existence is definitely going in. Yeah, but what I'm saying though is like scour from existence has the exile in it, so that's good. The obelisk has destroyed, but at least the obelisk, you know, it gets you some mana and it works for you as a mana rock in the early game. And later on, it can potentially destroy something that you see coming to a point where this is like, you know, you just kind of like whip it out and boom, gone. Your opponent didn't get a chance to see it. It's like the uh, Spanish Inquisition. No one expects it at all. It just shows up. It's true. But I think it's sweet that it's a common, too. Yeah. I want like 20 of these things, actually. 
Mm-hmm. I want one for all of them. I want, yeah, I would have to go agree with Will, because I have the Obelisk in a bunch of my decks, but I want this in the decks as well, because, you know, that, I like the idea of a way for allowing my other decks to deal with permanents that they normally can't deal with. Yeah. And, yeah, and since it's colorless, I can use it to actually kill off things that, if I had them on a red deck and your creature has protection from red, I don't have to worry about it, because now I can just kill the damn thing. Yeah, like the that, Obelisk uh, at least had the excuse of being a mana rock, this is just pure removal. Right. And, like, what was it? The one legendary, like, uh, rug commander that has protection from black and white. Oh, Animar? Animar. Yeah. Animar. Got Animar. It. It's like, you know, there's Animar. And, like, most decks out there that are black and white, like, black usually kills things. White usually exiles things. But when you have protection from black and white, you pretty much have protection from all removal, in a way. I mean, outside of a wrap effect, because red has to kill you, but it has to go to, like, a certain level of burn to get rid of you, or, like, you know, some type of weird shenanigans, like a warp word or a chaos warp or something of that nature, right? Blue can't really kill you. Blue can tuck you, but, or bounce you, but that's only, like, a temporary solution. And, you know, since the tuck rule doesn't work on legendary creatures that are your commanders, you know, that's still only temporary. Green, yeah, you could probably get a creature big enough to fight Animar with all those counters on it, but, you know, by a certain point, he's going to be too big for a counter to attack or for your creatures to deal with anything with him unless you drop him like a damn Eldrazi or something. In which case, you'd be better off playing this because, you know, it's colorless, and now your black-white deck has a way of dealing with that card without having to, like, show it four turns ahead of time because you had to cast it and wait for the mana to come up and pretend like it's a mana rock, quote-unquote, because, you know, yeah, I'm just going to use it for mana. Yeah, no, 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 I'm doing this. I'm getting rid of him. Fuck out. Yeah. I think the only deck that I wouldn't put this in, that I would run Unstable Obelisk instead, would be, like, my Karn deck. Because I'd feel like I was cheating if I was running this. Like, See, imp- I would say, I'd still like, say put it in there. Yeah, like, this is, like, this is literally just a card made for that deck. Like, yes. I'm like, but I, I would, say, but I would still say, like, in the Karn deck, with it being artifact based, and you potentially having ways to get the artifacts back easier, that the Obelisk would probably be better because you could potentially recycle it and get it back one way or another. Yeah, at least Karn you know. animates your Obelisk. Yeah, it's true. At least yeah, we should like use it for something. Takes about. I'd still say put him in Karn because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm intending on putting him in Duretti, and he's going, and this card's going in all my Boros decks, and those decks had a, the, with the highest card, and it was like six mana. Yeah, this and I'm putting this card into Ulamog. That's true. You know, I I'm a, I'm a damn hypocrite only because I do run is... always dust in my Karn deck. So yeah, the only 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 de- only deck that this card isn't going in is Ashling in ninety nine mountains and Maroff in his ninety nine lands. But that's because you know nothing goes in there but them in there. You know, uh, it's because nothing needs to go in there, you're... Calvin. Like come on, like Ashling is her own removal. Duh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ashling and Maroff, they have like you know like they just have like the the penthouse view of land. They don't need anything else around them. They just sit back. Get that nice, like, get like a cup of coffee, sit on the, on the edge of a rock, and just uh, like survey over land. All right, so I've got a Marath story when we're into the dangly bits. But let's go ahead and keep going, because I, I think, Dangles. yeah, because I think, uh, Mark, go ahead and go over your card, and since Calvin can't apparently, can't, uh, remember any of the other cards in the set, I think we can actually just kind of do a casual, let's just go ahead and keep picking out cards that we want to talk about. Cause like, there's, there's actually quite a few. Oh, cool with that. Right. Um, next one that I have on the list, again, not super fancy, but it's one I was excited about. Hedron Archive. So it's four mana artifact, because duh, I like artifacts. Uh, it, it's a mana rock, so you tap it to add two to your mana pool, or you can pay two to sacrifice Hedron Ar- Archive and draw two cards. So this is 
God, you know, of course now when I'm reading it, it would escape me. But what was the Zendikar six mana, or uh, mana rock, draw three cards? Dreamstone Hedron. Yes, Dreamstone Hedron. So just a different kind of Hedron. And this one, but you know, it never really felt right. Like, you know, I have Dreamstone Hedron in a couple of decks, and it's good and it does work, but man, six mana is a lot. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. four mana seems like a nice sweet spot here. Like I kind of like what the design d- team did here. You know, four mana, you get two colorless mana, or you can sack it and get two cards. Like that's a nice sweet spot. It's not too high up on the curve. Like it's right in the middle. To be honest, this will probably take the place of uh, Dreamstone Hedron in a couple of my decks. Really? I think so. Only because it comes down sooner and it's it's in a better spot in my mana curve, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, like, like this is just kind of the uh, the middle child between Mindstone and Dreamstone Hedron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I would easily say that this and the uh, other Hedron, the six, the one where you pay the six and you draw the three, this, I would say, goes in there because, granted, yeah, you're losing two mana, and you're losing a colorless mana that you could be using it for, but they pretty much do fill the same spot. The only time I would see I would see playing the other one over this is one if you're in like a deck that already produces tons of mana. Like you're playing a mono green deck, you're ramping out. Good. You're playing an art. Shut up, Navi. I'm trying to remember here. <laughs> like you're playing an artifact theme deck where you're like literally like dragging all the artifacts out with Doretti or whatever. In which case, you know, yeah, fine. It doesn't really matter how much it costs because you can go ahead and continuously reuse it. And you know, three is better than two, I guess. Or if you're playing like a long game controlling concept, then you can use that. But this one's like, it's not too aggressive. It's not too low costed where you can just abuse it over and over and over and over and again. But it does fit into a nice little like slot where if you want to play a little aggressively, you can do this, get two cards out of it potentially or not just use it for double mana. If you aren't playing that aggressively, you can combine it with the previous Hedron and kind of like just potentially for what is it? 10 mana draw five cards. I think it is. Yeah. Six and no, not because yeah, it's no, I mean, you it's draw six three. and this one's four, right? Yep. So. No, but it's 11 mana, right? Because this is four mana for two and the other one is six mana for three. Yeah. So you have to pay 11 mana. So you pay 11 mana, you get five cards. So, but still, 11 of them, like five of that mana can put, because these guys couldn't come from like these things, I guess. Wait, no, because you have to tap them, don't you? Do. Sack, yeah, you have to, no, never mind. Fuck it, so good. You know what I mean. You you know what the hell I mean. And and I can't see the card. Damn it, leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah. Alright then, so let's just go ahead and talk about this stuff. Alright, Clay, next card. Alright, the last one might actually be a cycle. Um, The retreat cycle is one of my favorite things to come out of this set, because for a fairly small upfront mana investment, you get to add value to every land that you play. the, the most notable among these is the blue one, Retreat to Coral Helm, which has been seeing a lot of speculation as being just absolutely nuts. It costs two and a blue. Mm-hmm. It's an enchantment. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. You may tap or untap target creature, or scry one. So either all of your lands are scry lands, or they untap your mana dorks, or... You know, tap down opposing blockers. Um, or the, you play Knight of the Reliquary and just fetch out. Or you play sequence. Knight of the Reliquary, um, which, for those who don't know, costs one, a green, and a white. It's, what, a 2-2 at base? Yep. Um, it gets plus one, plus one for each land card in your graveyard, and tap, sacrifice, forest, or planes. Search your library for a land card and put it on the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So you sacrifice a forest, 
You go find another forest, you use Coral Helm to untap your Knight of the Reliquary, and then you tap it and you just keep going. Uh, potentially doable on turn three in Modern or in EDH if you're in Vamp Colors. Uh, Mark, what do you have to say? Oh, I was just saying, I was like, with a Landfall trigger, I've been looking for other things to, to put into a Maloku deck. Mm. So, like, bouncing a land every turn for one, and then getting the, the scry or the tap untap trigger, like, yeah. that seems pretty good. Yeah, um, there's also, uh, Sinio under Legendary EDH plays, I think, posted another possible combo. Where you use Hedron Crab and Ruin Ghost yeah. to infinitely blink a planes. Shelly! <laughs> um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you have to say, William? I, I really like Retreat to Ameria. Just oh, be- yeah. Um, just because it's, it's one of those things that works great with Morab. Yeah. Um, I'll give them a quick rundown of the rest of the stuff on here. Um, I'll, I'll end with Retreat to Ameria because I think that, because I think that's the second most busted one. Um, but the black one is Retreat to Hagra. It costs two and a black, and its modes are target creature gets plus one plus zero and gains death touch until end of turn, or each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So, very good late game in the grindy matchups because you just drain them or you make your dudes slightly bigger and lethal. Uh, Retreat to Valakut costs two and a red. Um, its modes are target creature gets plus two plus zero until end of turn, or target creature can't block this turn. Also incredibly aggressive, and really cool for red decks that need some late-game reach when they're top-decking lands. Um, Retreat to Kazandu. Costs two and a green. Uh, its modes are put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature, or you gain two life. So everything's a Radiant Fountain or a Lanawar Reborn, but except instead of grafting, you're just putting something on there. And then lastly, Retreat to Emiria actually costs four instead of three, unlike the rest of the cycle. So it costs three and a white. And its modes are put a 1-1 white core ally creature token onto the battlefield. So your lands make 1-1s now. Like, they are they are strictly better than Colony Garden. Or creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. Imagine scape shifting into retreat to Emiria to be like, oh, my dudes get plus 10, plus 10 until end of turn. I'm going to kill you. Oh, dude, imagine that in Munda. Every <laughs> yeah, land turns into a, you don't draw land. So yeah, that's the retreat cycle. They're really cool, and they're only uncommon, so they shouldn't be that expensive. I think retreat to Coralhem foils were pre-ordering on Star City at four bucks a piece, which isn't too bad. If they were like a dollar a piece, I probably would have ordered like twenty of them just to sit on them. But still, these things are super sweet. So so let's talk about what makes me what really grinds my gears. So we got some awesome enemy lands here, like Lumbering Falls and Shamley Vent for blue-green and black-white, respectively, and they become guys with abilities for some sort of mana cost. How miffed are you that they kept three of them for the next set? Like, it's kind of silly. I was really looking forward to having my Boros land. Yeah, I, I kept, I kept checking the uh, the spoilers because I thought there was a mistake. I wouldn't, say it's, I wouldn't say I'm miffed about it because the way I kind of see this right now is, is that Wizards going into their now double block cycle I'm going with. That's what it is. Because it's like, you know, we're going to do Zendikar now. Next one's Zendikar. And after that, we're going into a totally different area, totally different story, totally different plane. So we don't have the three land, the three block thing to kind of stretch things out over. So we can't give you everything you want in this particular one. Because if we do, then... I want it! Yes, I know. And I want the Boros one, too. You're not the only one, damn it. 
And chances are, after seeing some of the Boros creatures from this particular set, <laughs> yeah, you I'm could wait kinda, on the Boros, man. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, man. I, think I might want to send a letter to the Wizards to leave that one in, let that one bake for another set or two. The Boros one actually <laughs> but, just um, animates into Munda 2.0. Shut up. <laughs> I would be so pissed if the Boros land turned into an ally and did some stupid ally fucking, oh, that'd be so fucking retarded. I'd be upset. I'd, uh, I'd cry. I would totally cry. I would cry on air. But, um, yeah, but the thing is, like, even with, like, the... Because remember, normally, we would use... There was a point in time we would get, like, five Planeswalkers at the beginning of the set. And, you know, maybe, like, one or two in the next one, depending on what they were doing. But this one, we only got three of the Planeswalkers. And two of them... Only, only two of them really have anything to do with the direct story of what's going on in Zendikar. You know? So, yeah, I could easily see them just, like, you know, trying to find a nice... Because this is the first time they're doing a do- double block thing outside of, like, Larwin block. So mm-hmm. I can see them trying to find, like, a nice little niche of what's the proper ratio of double rare lands combined with other things to put in here and Planeswalkers. What's the nice, like, blend of this and that to keep the people buying the set, but not giving away so much that one of the two sets outsells the other too badly. It's just strange because they had like they had the full sets of everything else, you know. They had the 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 fertile set or, or I don't know what the heck else. Like the I'm sorry, the blighted ones. They had the whole range of the blighted ones. They had the whole range of the is that the Havlands? Are we calling this Havlands? So, um, I'm still going with either slow bros or baselands. I'm still going I, I with like, slow below. I, I like slow bros. Um, I don't know. So I'm kind of tempted to drop that base. Hashtag slow bros. Fuck that base. I'm good. No, I'm good with that. But like, you know what I mean? Like, we got the full set of those, and yet we only got two of the manlands. It just seems a little weird. I don't know. Okay. I have a I have a bone to pick with with other things about lands in here. I mean, I know we talked about trying of the forsaken gods, which is just trying of the under like the underwhelming gods to me. Um, but, yeah, but that artwork is amazing. The artwork is amazing. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know. I would actually, still try okay. spawning bed over it. Actually, while we're while we're on that Planeswalker train of thought, though, so we've got Gideon, Kiora, and Omnix list. We're gonna talk about Gideon and uh, and Ob in a bit, but I want to throw an idea by you. So Chandra's okay. gonna be in Gatewatch. Like that's just a given. Like they can't have Chandra finally showing up to be the big damn he- hero. Like. It'll be like a, a dire hour type thing where it's like they need just a little bit more help and then Chandra shows up and she's sh- like just shooting everything. She's like, fuck yeah! Fire! Fire! You get burned! You get burned! Everyone gets burned! So, Chandra's most definitely probably gonna get a card in Gatewatch. I feel like Jace is also getting a card in Gatewatch since he wasn't in this one particularly. My yeah. question is, because Watsi has tended to try and keep a certain number of planeswalkers in standard to a certain number. Do you think we're actually going to get a Nissa card in Gatewatch? Yeah. Because one, and it would make perfect. I'm going to go out there and say it would make perfect sense for there to be a Nissa. Like, of course, you just got to have Nissa there because she's part of the Gatewatch. But what if, hypothetically speaking, the Nissa that we got in Origins is supposed to be representative of the Nissa that we see in Zendikar because of how this Nissa is the one that makes the Ashaya token. And as we've been seeing from the story elements so far, Ashaya's kind of connected to Nissa, and this is the first time that she's really summoning Ashaya. But, but that can't be I, true, because, like, the origin set was, like, obviously their origins, right? But this is after, like, Nissa done fucked up and messed with the Hedrons and... What, and... what Watsi said was that their Planeswalker side 
is it necessary? A near lifetime. Yeah, it is, it's not just after they planeswalked. It's some point after their lives. Because remember, Liliana is supposed to be a pre-many walker after she first does it. Because basically the concept is is that the creature side is the origin, the beginning of their story. The planeswalker side is sometime in their future after they become a planeswalker. Not necessarily saying directly afterwards, but sometime in the future. So theoretically, the Nisa from Origins could be the Nisa from now. But the reason I'm saying that we're probably getting a new Nisa to counteract William's concept is, is this. Typically, we would get like what? Like five planeswalkers in a block? It'd be like, you know, maybe like three in the beginning, two in the next one, or one in the next one, and then one in the last one. Yep. You know, maybe like somewhere it'd be like between five or six, right? Mm-hmm. And then normally when the core set would come up, we would get five. But we mm-hmm. no longer have the core set, which means we no longer have a set that guarantees five walkers, which mm-hmm. means that we can now put more walkers into each one of the three, well, into each one of the um, two story sets. So as opposed to constantly getting three and then one and then one, we could be getting six or seven or so in each of the two sets, depending on how they want to divide them up. And then throughout the year, instead of us getting five at a time, we're getting three, 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 four, and whatever. And then they can still keep their balanced number there because there's no point in the year where they would guarantee to give us five. You're right. I completely forgot about the course set. So, yeah, that does make the amount of planeswalkers they would have in standard about 10 to 12 per year. Right, because they're going with 10 to 12 Planeswalkers per year, and you do three, you set this three, six, nine, and then the next one would be like 12. So that means you don't have to necessarily put three in every one. You could put like three, two, four, two, and then you're still close to the numbers you want. All right, so let's actually go ahead and look at these Planeswalkers. Uh, Mark, which one do you want to talk about first? Um, I'll take Obby. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, Ob- Reignited. Okay. Uh, he is a three colorless mana and two black mana. Planeswalker, he's a Nixilus. I like how he's just Nixilus. Not even mm-hmm. Ob-Nixilus, they're just like Nixilus. Whatever, deal with it. Yeah, it's like Planeswalker Bolas. Yeah, sure. He's got five loyalty counters when he comes in, and he does, I would say, like, the typical black things. Uh, plus one, you draw a card and lose That's one racist. life. That's not... Why do you take yes, that? It is. Why? Why? Oh. Ob-Nixilus is on the corner. <laughs> Ob-Nixilus loves chicken. God damn it! Been, uh, 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 I said none of these things. Uh, Nicholas has an affinity for playing dice. <laughs> I said none of these things. None, none at all. Nicholas uh, has a prison record. Damn man, which is true because he's been trapped on Zendikar. He's done doing his uh, his prison term is up. So he's free to move, but you know, continue. And he, oh, and he was shackled at one point. So yeah, typical black stuff. All of that. I'm Why, Calvin? Why? <laughs> All of that I'm probably going to have to get rid of and cut, but it yeah, was so worth yeah. it to say. <laughs> so, anyway, um, <laughs> my, his minus three ability is destroy a target creature. Um, except eight. I don't know. Yeah, he gets to destroy stuff. It's cool. I don't like, is it just me? This is another side tangent here. Why is it so expensive to kill shit nowadays? Like, in, in the last couple sets, it's been like five mana destroy creatures. And half of it's been printed at sorcery. Like, what's up, Watsy? Don't you like Doomblade anymore? What the hell? No, no, they don't like Doomblade. They anymore. do not like Doomblade. They mess up. Remember, Rise of the Eldrazi taught them that if they make removal worse, then people actually get to play with their sweet creatures in draft. Meh. And lastly, the the emblem that you will probably never get in Commander minus eight target opponent gets an emblem with whenever a player draws a card, you lose two life. Which is pretty right, sweet. So what was the? So one of them is destroy a creature. 
Yep. The, the, the emblem is creatures, whenever someone, whenever you draw a card, your opponent loses two life. No, no, the emblem is sweet. The emblem's kind of like Garrick's emblem, so it's target opponent oh. gets an emblem. So okay. you give the target opponent, opponent an emblem, whenever a player draws a card, you Calvin, lose two life. Calvin, did you actually think yeah. that this emblem, that you just got this emblem? No, I'm tr- no, I didn't think that. I'm trying to remember it from the top of my head. I can't visually see the card. So this next list it, is it, pretty sweet. And I'm trying to remember what the other ability is. There's the story creature. There's give the opponent the emblem. What's the other ability? Plus draw one. Draw a card and lose a life. Yeah, plus one. Okay, there we Just go. Just draw a card. It's pretty sweet for a plus one, too. Okay. All right. This and dude should have been in the obvious list for him, like, for the set, like for the commander set last year. Oh, this, I would have been so excited if he yeah, was. This is what it should have been. But, like, like Ashley actually got to see this card before I did. And she was like, dude, I fucking need this card in my demon deck. Yep. She was so excited to finally have a demon planeswalker. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, see, the one thing about Obnixilis that I kind of want now is I want a card that shows him turning into the demon. It would probably be, like, a sorcery or something. Right, because now... Cause now if we look at Obnixilus' story, we have Obnixilus when he was a human planeswalker from a plane using all kinds of demonic things and whatever the case may be. We pick up where Obnixilus is trapped on Zendikar and is in his demon-like form. We have Obnixilus breaking out of his um, Hedron thing and gaining his powers back. And now we have Obnixilus fully regaining his powers as a planeswalker. So the only thing I'm missing now, story-wise, to build like an Obnixilus-themed deck or, you know, of that nature, would be something that turns Obnixilus into a demon. Even if it's a sorcery an instant or whatever the case may be, hell, I'll take an enchantment that, like, you know, turns target human or target or enchanted creature turns into a whatever, whatever demon. Ah, just so much value off this Planeswalker. Like, I have no idea where I'm going to stick him. Right. As far as like, as far as Obnicholas is concerned, as far as the card goes, the destroy permanent thing, good. Drawing a card, losing life—that's basically just like a uh, sign and blood, right? Uh, yeah, it's half, it's half of sign and blood. It's pretty much half of sign and blood on a on a planeswalker. So in our format, that's fine because you're only losing one. You're drawing one, but still, it's fine. Plus one, that just means you've got plenty of life to go. You can potentially get twenty cards off of him before you really have to worry about your life total because you'll just be a twenty. All right. But then you can, you know, siphon effects and get your life back. So that's good. All right. So, Obnixilus, just universally good. But what about his counterpart over here? Gideon, ally of Zendikar. He's a badass. Yeah. For two, white, white, you get a Planeswalker yeah. Gideon that comes into play with four loyalty counters. Plus yeah. one. Until end of turn, Gideon, ally of Zendikar, becomes a 5-5 five, five human soldier ally creature with indestructible that's still a Planeswalker. Prevent all it's damage that would be dealt to him this turn. So I like that they're still using like the uh, the pronoun things to help save text space. Yeah, he used to have to ultimate to do that. Yeah, now he just gets buff for zero. Put a two-two white knight ally creature token onto the battlefield. So it's not Elspeth, but he's shooting out a two-two every turn for free. Yep. And then limit break minus four, so you can do this as soon as you play him. You get an emblem with creatures you control get plus one plus one. Yeah. Yeah, this is a card that I can play in Morath. Now, see, the one thing about Gideon that I find to be the most um, interesting about him is, is that he doesn't does he doesn't have haste when he turns into a creature. Nope. Right. Yeah, that's correct. So, so like the 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 problem, only thing I have a problem with this particular Gideon is to trying to figure out what I'm going to do with him the turn I cast him. Because if I cast him, I can go for the emblem, or I can get the two two token, or I could pump him. 
if I pump him, then I can get the emblem later and keep the Gideon. But then again, on the first turn, if I pump him, I don't get anything. So I, so there's a way where it's like I can get all three of these, but I have to like go token, then pump Gideon, attack with Gideon and token, and then next turn use Gideon to get the emblem and keep Gideon. So in order to get all three effects, you kind of have to wait like a, a three-turn clock. But then, he's a, cast but then he turns into a 6-6 six, six every turn. Right. But think where it is, like, you know, like, and the other thing is that the emblem stacks. So if you're somehow playing in Magical Christmas Land, you're able to get him up to, like, eight tokens, like, eight loyalty counter. You can give all your creatures, like, plus two, plus two. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, me and Gideon, we try to get along. But I think Gideon might be, for me, what Dragon Master Outcast is for Calvin. Like, maybe not to the extreme. Like, I've gotten Gideons to work before, but they're just, eh. I don't know. Like, I like these four mana. That's pretty sweet. But to be honest, I was a lot more, I like, I was more excited for Gideon than I am for Gideon. I mean, you don't like the fact that he just puts out an ally every turn? I do like that, but, I mean, the two white mana symbols are probably going to stop me from running him, unfortunately. Although he is an ally yeah, of Zendikar in an ally he, deck. Yeah, but he, he is an ally himself when he, when he turns into a creature. So when he attacks, he counts as an ally attacking. It's true, so, but I don't really give yeah, that much of a shit about allies attacking. To be honest, I would rather play that retreat. Is that retreat, retreat to Ameria that pumps out an ally token? When you, yeah, I think it's the one, yeah. one core, I believe. Yeah, the core ally. Yep. I would probably run, I would run that instead of the Gideon for that effect. Like, if that's the effect I'm looking for, I would probably run that instead. Yeah, I don't think you're That's understandable. But think for, the reason why I would say, like, playing with the Gideon is, is that, one, he can, you can easily just play him, pop him, give the emblem. So now that the retreat from Emeria gives you 2-2 core allies, because the emblem would be there. Every time you play a land, you get a 2-2, because it's a 1-1 with the emblem. In which case, you're kind of getting two of Gideon's effects just by activating one of them and then playing a land. I mean, it's interesting. I might, I I think just because I hadn't considered that you get the emblem, you can pop him and kill him. He might have a place in like a in that mono white reanimator deck. I mean, he's not a creature, but if I'm playing mono white, I'll have ways to get mm. crap back anyway. You can actually get so. him back with a Miria Shepherd though. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And she can actually just bring him right back into play. So like every time you play a plane, you can just pop him and get the end. Oh my fucking god. So, so many orgasms tonight. So, so let's just let's just talk about this right right now. Like I like I swear to God, I was going to let Mark pick out the next card, but this one just keeps popping up. So Mark, do you want to read off a of Maria Shepherd for me? Sure. Um, where's Maria Shepherd? Maria, Maria, why did I just lose you? Internet, why did you fail? Okay. Damn it, Maria. Amiria Shepherd is a seven mana, five colorless mana, and two white creature angel. It's a flying four four. But no one gives a shit about any of that except for the cool landfall thing. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may t- return target non-land permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If that land is a plains, you may return that non-land permanent card to the battlefield instead. Oh my god, you just keep popping Gideon emblems. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Shenanigans will ensue. Alright, yeah, that's... Like, I'm actually considering if this card is good enough to play in Kalia. I think it might be... <laughs> Yeah, I know, though, but you're not you're not rocking lands though. Oh, you're not rocking that many planes though. Well, I'm running dual lands, so those count as planes. Second of all, it doesn't hurt to get those non-land cards back to my hand, because then Kali, if it's a creature, Kali can cheat it back out. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, like you still get something back 
regardless of what land it's actually put into play. So you can get back, get back a sword or an enchantment. Yeah. All right. So. Okay. So wait. So wait a second. What was the um? What happens when you put the land into play? When you put the land into play, you can grab any non-land permanent in your graveyard and put it into your hand. So any land you play becomes a regrowth. And if and if it's a plains, it comes back to your side of the field. Yeah, it goes to the field instead. Yeah, so yeah, so in that case, you don't you don't really it doesn't really matter if it's a plains then because any land can just get you the Gideon back and just cast it and pop it. Right, and, and like in a three color deck, like it doesn't even matter. Like you obviously want the plains to get them extra bonus, so you're aiming for like your shocks and your duels and your base lands and all that. But but then once you run out of all your plains and stuff, it doesn't matter because you're like, all right, we're fine. Now I just have to cast. Now I just have to cast Gideon, but in the same token. At that point, it's like, if I've already got all my planes out on the field, that means I've done this at least, like, five times. Yeah. All right, so, Mark, go ahead and pick out a couple of cards you want to talk about. All right. I don't know if this counts as a cycle or not, but I'm going to call it a cycle, but I'm not quite sure what to call the cycle. Um, so I'm going to start with Cliffside Lookout, and I'm just going to call it my disappointing cycle. Is that because, the cycle? No, this one is, Cliffside Lookout is a, the little... White one one little common core scout ally. Ah, um, okay. I see well, like they all have like it's just underwhelming is the name of the game for a lot of these allies. So core scout ally, the cliffside lookout. He's one man. He's one one. His ability is you pay four and a white. Fucking four and a white, man. For creatures you control, get plus one plus one till end of turn. Now I realize that this dude is a common and Leonin Sun Standard is a rare. But Leonin Sun Standard is one in a white for the exact same ability. And I get it. Common, rare, common, rare. But god damn it. I'm never going to pay five mana for plus one, plus one. Anyway, so the other part of this, I guess I'm going to call it the disappointing cycle, Hagra Sharpshooter. She is a 2-2 human assassin ally, which is only cooler because she's an assassin. For two Carlos and a black, it's it's the opposite ability for the same mana price. So four and a black, target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Again, if you're paying five mana for this effect, you're fucking doing it wrong. Like, it, it, I would pay more, like, I would pay, there are times when I could consider even paying five mana, because maybe you need to kill, like, a, a really important mana dork, or, or, I don't know, like, maybe it's after combat and people aren't paying attention and you got your com- other guy's commander down to one and you just have to kill it, but that's fucking never going to happen anyway. So fuck this dude and fuck the goddamn Calissa I look out. Like, goddamn it. Fucking disappointing allies, man. Ugh. Well, hmm. what allies are you excited about? Like, there's the green-white one and there's the hero of Gomathada that looks all right. Oh, I dig the, I, I dig the hero of Gomathada, all right? I, I totally do that, and I'll, I'll read him off, why not? Um, he's got the rally ability. Whenever Hero of Gomathada or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get indestructible. That's sweet. See, now, like, this is where we, we, we have to get, like, relevant abilities from no one gives a shit abilities. Alright? Relevant abilities. Indestructibles. Relevant abilities. Uh, double strike. Double strike. No one gives a, yeah. No one gives a fuck abilities. Look at the top four cards of your library. And put them back. <laughs> Yeah, and put them fucking back on the top of your library. <laughs> no Don't one draw gives a fuck abilities. Like, Don't draw a card. Like, yeah. Like, even if they had, like, look at, like, the top four and then draw a card, then I would at least be like, well, it's a Boros legend that has haste that can potentially draw you a card. As long as, it, like, you know, but with that ally tax tech on it, that's, uh, yeah. 
again, in the category of no one gives a fuck abilities, whenever Angelic Captain attacks, it gets plus one, plus one to end up turn for each other attacking ally. I, no one gives a shit about that either. Like, you know? I well, thought... that kind of, but, 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 but that is, like, that effect would be perfectly fine if it wasn't for one word. Like, for if it wasn't for one word on that card. There's one word on that card that messes it all up. Other? Yes. Yep. Because it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, look, if I was just playing, like, look, if I'm building an ally's deck, good, you work fine. If it was just for each ally that attacks, and then that means at least he pumps himself. That means if I attack multiple times, he gets a chance to pump himself multiple times. So I can work with that in a regular deck that doesn't need allies. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. Like, even veteran war leader, I was trying to pump myself up for, because his power and toughness are equal to the number of creatures you control. Not even allies, like, just other number of creatures, you know? But then, like, I don't really give a shit about tapping another ally to give him first strike or vigilance or trample. Like, I definitely don't give a fuck about um, Grove Tender Druids, like, I'm sorry, man, like, just paying one to get to say, a 1-1 one, one plant. Yeah, but I would have to say this much, though. Like, the idea of tapping another ally in this particular set, part of me kind of holds reserve for that, because between the retreats, between Gideon and several other cards that's in the set that produces, like, ally tokens and ones from past sets that produce ally tokens, I can easily see there being a time where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to tap this 1-1, give my guy first strike. No, I'm going to just use this one. Basically, like, I'm going to stick this. You see these two 1-1s? I'm putting them underneath here, and we're just going to pretend he always has it. Because one of the guys taps and gives it to him, and the other one will give it to him during your turn. So, either way, he's always got it. Now we're just moving on in a cage, and every once in a while, once in a blue moon, I may attack you for four. Let's see, what what about March from the Tomb, though? Did I miss March from the Tomb? What the heck is this? So, March from the Tomb. For three white black, it's a sorcery. Return any number of target ally creature cards with total converted mana cost eight or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Oh, yeah. Cats. Yes. But at that point, like, I would, I would play something else at that point. Like, I would just play, like, a, you know, Living Death or something. You can hear the disappointment in Mark's voice. It's just not, I don't know, man. Like, even stuff like Drana's Emissary, I thought was gonna be kinda cool. But, you know, eh, like, everybody loses a life and you gain a life. Eh, I don't know. It's just, there's just, it's nothing, nothing really stood out, you know? Like, even, like, Corrin Tanglers has, is, is the guy who, like, him or another ally enters the battlefield and you tap target creature and opponent controls. Like, that has possibilities, but he's five mana, man. He's five, he's four, four colors and a white for a three, four. It's like, oh, man, if you were just like one less mana, that would be pretty sweet. Like, oh, I just, it's it's hard to get excited about a lot of these guys, man. Like a lot of them. It's really like I said again. I know I was wicked excited at first for this, and then I saw like once all the spoilers came out, and I am just no longer excited. I just don't care. So, what you would call it? What if Mark? What if Wizards is intentionally making allies suck because they <laughs> intended for them to die? I mean, okay. I mean, well, they kind of suck. I mean, like, they suck the first time around, right? Like. I guess. But the, I mean, re- but the reason they sucked the first time around was because we got them in the final set. And, uh, remember when we had the um, uh, Scars of Mirrodin block? And we had, like, the Mirrodins versus the Phyrexians. And, you know, the Mirrodins were pretty good. The Phyrexians were all right. But Wizards already knew in the long run that the Phyrexians was going to win that war, right? So they made those cards, you know, good to kind of determine, to get you to determine whether or not you would be worth playing them. What I'm thinking is, is that they knew the Allies were going to win this one. 
because obviously, like, you know, the next set, spoilers, has three planeswalkers, has four planeswalkers sitting around with their hands holding up in the middle of nowhere with smiles on their faces. I get, I get the flavor reason. I just don't give two shits about flavor, really. I mean, I, you know, like, I'm not a Vorthos guy. Like, I just want to play with some sweet allies, and I just didn't really get a whole lot of sweet allies. Yeah, I understand I that to some people, like, sweet ally card is kind of an oxymoron, but I was just disappointed. That's all. No, I'm getting, I get what you, what you're talking about, Mark. Like, I like, I care about like the storyline and some of the flavor, but for the most part, what I love about sets comes from just the mechanical aspect of it. So like, on the one hand, a lot of the ally cards are really, seem really bad because they, they're just sticking ally onto a lot of bad cards to begin with. Yep. And for like draft and all that. On the other hand, Munda. Like, mm. Fucking, we can't talk about Munda no more, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although, this this is noise at the airport. Now that I'm looking through the spoiler again, I keep thinking, maybe I want to try Rexil again. Not just for the website, but because I can play Blue-Black Tentacles. Mmm, Blue-Black Tentacles. Like, I'm already... Like, the Eldrazi hit, they ingest... uh, Sorry. I use the processor ability to put their spell instants and sorceries into the graveyard, but only when Rexil's ready to connect. Like, that's got some merit to it. Yeah. I mean, when I designed my uh, my Lorthos deck, like it was kind of like a Lorthos Cthulhu themed deck, you know, had like crazy little weird tentacly bullshit going on. So this kind of plays into that. And I am honestly like more excited for the Eldrazi than I am for the Allies. So maybe that'd be kind of sweet. Yeah. And I would be really happy to ha- actually have a Rexial deck again. Yeah. I had a Rexial Mill deck for a while, but it just fucking sucked. So. The, when William said the blue-black tentacles deck, the first thing that came to my mind is someone saying, oh, man, those tentacles left me black and blue. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> Man, this is just like, this just should be called, like, the hentai review episode. That's honestly, like, all we've just been hinting about. Tentacles after dark. Mm. Although, Takayaki is really good. I want to go back to Tensuke and get some. All right, so are there any other cards that you're really excited about, Mark? I'm trying to think. I mean, looking through these, we kind of covered most of them. You know, what? this didn't really even have any kind of sweet what about artifacts. That, what about that sire stagnation? Like, was I the Ooh. only one who looked at that and thought Consecrated Sphinx number two? Yeah, that didn't look kind of sweet. I don't know. What deck would you play that on, Will? Rexial Tentacles. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Like, I, I mean, would, like, I would play gross. that into most any blue-black deck just for the draw power. Like, okay, every time they play a land, you draw two cards. They're not going to try and kill it right away because it's not like Consecrated Sphinx where it's like, oh, uh, he already drew cards. He already got his value. Her, her. Mm. Also, mean, it also just kind of punches from decks, I think. True. I thought it was kind of interesting there's like a small little life gain theme among some of the cards. Like like a life gain plus one plus one counter thing, which is, I, I mean, I've been going back and forth with uh, Grandpa Growth for a while. And uh, he's been trying out my Dagatar deck, which has like a, a life game plus one plus one counters matter thing. And that deck is fucking terrible. Like that was the one I built after our Entourage segment for it. And it's kind of hilarious. I've never won a game with that deck. Hmm. But there are some guys like Serene Steward. You know, whenever you gain life, you play white. And if you do, you put a plus one plus one counter on a target creature. Like that was useful. There's another, uh, I think it's Bloodbond Vampire. Whenever you gain life, you put a plus one plus one counter on Bloodbond Vampire. So there is some synergies there that I think would be kind of neat, um, but I'm not really sure that I would bother to go back and fix that deck because, yeah. It kind of mm. just feels like a, a white-black Soul Sisters archetype that they made just for limited. 
Yeah, yeah. That that I mean, you can clearly see like I bet this is gonna be fun to play limited. You know, like yeah. all the all the all the crazy landfall triggers and even I mean, there's like a million different creatures to just get plus two plus two when a land falls. You know, mm. like that's gonna be shitty in every every format except for limited. Limited's gonna be fun. You know, yes, so. Yeah. Uh, you may want to give Mark a moment to go on and talk about what he was talking about, the effect, uh, the mechanic converge. He wanted to bitch about that real quick. <laughs> oh, shit, so, yeah, I did want to bitch about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was actually a really cool card in here that I wanted to put into my Hive Lord deck. Bright, bring to light. You know, the three green, blue sorcery converge. Search your library for a creature, instant, or sorcery card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast bring to light. Exile that card and shuffle your library. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. So, Mark, what do you think about this card, and what do you think about Converge? Ugh. I mean, that's like the the best of a, a, a shitty set of cards. Like, goddamn, fucking, who's playing five-color, like, domain or five-color um, Converge decks, man? Like, I will just be... Not, ugh. I just, I just don't see the need for it. Like, why would you, why would you do that? I've, I've never understood it. Like ever, ever since Domain came out, I'm like, this is not, this is a thing. Who's playing? Who's playing this? I don't, <laughs> fucking, I don't get it. Maybe there is. Maybe I missed something. I mean, God knows I'm not a great player, but I just don't see the appeal. I, ugh, ugh, ugh. I mean, from what I understand, this was actually a mechanic that first showed up in Invasion because that had a you. It, the theme was okay. We're fighting the Phyrexians. It's all the colors teaming up together to fight the Phyrexians. So we're going to reward you for playing as many colors as possible. And they wanted, to, and when they got to this set, it was like, oh, it's color versus colorless. So let's go ahead and do something like that again. And I'm actually really intrigued by this. Like, I look at something like Bring the Light, and I'm like, okay, I could play this in just a blue-green deck and go grab, like, a Mana Dork or maybe just a Cantrip or a Counterspell or something like that. But I actually get rewarded for just playing more colors. So, like, if I throw this into my Hive Lord deck, well, then, as long as I've got the mana going correctly, then I can just go ahead and wargate something. I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, there are legitimately cards. I don't mean to shit on this entire set. There are legitimately cards that I am interested in. Um, Like, one converged one that I think might be okay would be, like, maybe Painful Truths, which is three mana sorcery. You draw X cards and lose X life, where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast Painful Truths. I mean, I guess that's all right. It's kind of like a could-be-slightly-better version of, um, you know, the Ladyfinger suite, but eh, I don't know, eh. I think I, I would take, of all the, the new mechanics, I would take Awaken over Converge. I might actually take Awaken over the Rally, too, because Rally, I don't give a shit about. Maybe, oh, no, Landfall, I think. Okay, so if I was going to rank it, Landfall, Awaken, Converge, Rally. That's how I would rank them. All right. All right, so... Well, yeah. What about the Void? Oh, I just don't, I don't even, like, the Void doesn't do shit, so, <laughs> is that a mechanic? Like, It's a characteristic defining ability, which, so, previously, okay. which means that it's going to affect how the card is looked at in zones other than the battlefield, which is something I didn't know about until the release notes got released yesterday. Because until then, I was like, well, I kind of just want it to be an ability word, so, like, when it's in your hand, it's colored so that you can pitch the new Ten of, uh, Eldrazi Stormcrow to Force of Will. But, like, no, it's colorless everywhere. In your hand, in your deck, everywhere. Yep. This card has no color, man. Just none. Yep. So, there are, are obviously many, many more cards. Like the Void Winner, where your opponents can't even, and all kinds of stuff. But, we've been going for two hours, 40 minutes, something like that now. So, let's just go ahead and wrap up with some final thoughts. Uh, 
Calvin, what do you think of Battle for Zendikar overall? Basically, Battle for Zendikar seems like a good place for anyone who wants, like, lands that that add stuff to your deck. Converge, I think, would be all right if you're playing, like, Domain and Sunburst and all the other, like, five-color-based concepts. Because you could probably build, like, I'm pretty sure you can build a nice five-color deck now just out of all these mechanics that want all five colors. And it'd be, like, weird, because you you could potentially be fighting for spots between Converge and Domain cards and, like, Sunburst cards in your deck. But overall, I think that the best thing that's going to be coming out of this is going to end up being most of the Eldrazi, because now we have more stuff to put into our decks. And I like the idea of red creatures that I can play that have Devoid that I can use to attack creatures that have protection from red. I mean, granted, artifacts could have taken that spot too, but now I don't have to worry about two forms of removal killing my colorless guy between artifact removal and creature removal. So that's a plus. All right, so what do you think, Mark? Fuck you, Munda. All right. That's right, fuck you, Munda. Right in your fucking fucking useless ally ass. Fucking bastard. Noyan Dar looks a lot cooler than I thought he did. After you talked about him, Will, I'm actually legit excited to kind of see some decks on that guy. Oh, yeah. Like, once I've... Alright, there we go. There's a soundbite. Yeah, the Noyan Dar deck I'm really excited for. I've got the... Like I said, I've got the prototype built up. I really need to get that Darksteel Garrison, though. I'm gonna be. Money, man. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna be testing on Tuesday, even if I have to proxy up a Noyan Dar to do it. Maybe I'll be able to trade for it. Like it's it's like a dollar fifty on Star City. I can do that. I was gonna say it can't be that much. I yeah, know. no, no. He's a do- he's a dollar rare, and I love it when commanders are just dollar rare, so I can get my hands on them immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I've been experimenting with uh, like some Merfolk Tribal recently. Anyway, I know. Will, have you ever listened to Tolarian uh, Community College? Uh, I don't think I have. Guy, it's it's a pretty sweet little little uh, channel on YouTube. I shouldn't say little channel. I'm sure that dude has tons of subscribers. Um, he doesn't talk just about Commander, but he has some sweet little Commander sets. And uh, his one of his favorite. This guy just named the Professor, hence Tolarian Community College. Um, and one of his favorite decks is Sig River Guide. And I would always like, you know, I've, I I have a Sig River Cutthroat deck. And I would just look at Sig River Guide and be like, eh, fuck it. But he's like, nah, he's like, take a different look at it. And I've been experimenting with that deck a little bit, and it's a lot of fun. So, um, like, just like just doing goofy things with, like, blue-white merfolk is actually really fun. I've actually so, seen that deck before, and, yeah, it, it can be really good, actually. Yeah, so, like, Noyandar, like, it, that's another little thing to put in there. I mean, Omnath is pretty awesome. So, like, there are a lot of things. I don't want to be just super salty on this. I will probably try some of the allies. We'll make it into my ally deck. I will be disappointed, and then I will take them out, but I will give it a shot. Yeah, like, we even have, like, two cycles of lands, a common cycle and an uncommon cycle, that just go in monocodex because they're awesome. Like, oh, shit, yeah, I forgot yeah. about the damn, I, yeah, the have lands I'm actually really excited about, because yeah, like this one now that, I have dual lands that I will actually pay for. Yeah, the blue one frosted creature, the green one's going to search for a, ba- going to mulch for a basic land, the red one gets first strike, the black one just gets you a creature, then you've got uncommon sack lands, so for each opponent's sacks a creature, you ramp a growth for one, you kind of crozen verge for one of them. Mm-hmm. There's one that draws cards. There's one that gives you two life for each creature you control. Like, these things are really awesome. I am legitimately ex- super excited for Battle for Zendikar. Like, we'll be talking about this when we do the, uh, the what to do when you get into a slump episode in a few weeks. But, like, for all of Origins, I don't know if it was because I started working at the game store and I didn't really know how to balance working at a game store and just going there to play and hang out. But the whole Origins trip, I just felt like I was in a slump. Like, I wasn't really that excited for anything. I was just kind of looking at things and being like, eh. Like, 
I was afraid I was going to feel burned out, maybe need to take a break from the podcast for a while. But I'm looking at Battle for Zendikar, and it's got so much amazing stuff. I'm re- I'm just... Oof. When we do our look-back review for Battle for Zendikar a year from now, like, we're going to have the opposite problem where we have for cons. Where it's like, there's a lot of really great cards here, but not a lot at common. No, this stuff, this just has so much at common that I want, and that makes me so happy. Like, I could legitimately see just buying a box. Hmm. The one thing I would have to say, though, is, is that I, it's weird because I want to buy a box of this, but the most of the stuff that I want to buy the box for are Eldrazi and lands. There's not really much outside of those that I really want. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a bunch of other stuff in there, like, you know, there's the retreats and there's the other, um, a couple, like a handful of the allies. Not too many, but, you know, just a few to look at it, like, you know what, you're good enough, I'll take you that I would want, but not so much that I actually want. But it's kind of weird that I want to buy a box of this because, one, I get all those nice full art lands, and, two, I have a chance at hitting a bunch of the other, like, lands that I want, like the Slowbro lands and potentially, like, like the black one that brings things back. That would be great in my graveyard deck for my zombies. Uh like the idea of using the other lands to give my creatures first strike and all that. Like, it's weird because typically when I buy a box of something, it's because I want the creatures. I'm, I want to buy a box of this so I can get a ton of lands that I can then use later to, like, round out the other areas in my other decks and put in effects that I want. So it's kind of, this, that's one thing about Zendikar that I find to be the most interesting about this particular block and even the previous one where it's like, yeah, it has great cards in it, but the main reason I want it is because I want the lands and it's kind of, like, jarring to want a set because I want the mana base. All right. So, overall, looks like an amazing set. I can't wait to play with it. If you're listening to this on the Commander Cast website, then, hey, we just had our pre-release. If you're listening to this on MTG Cast, congratulations. We should have the cards that we want by now. And if not, what the hell's wrong with this? So, that's about it for our Battle for Zendikar preview show. Let's go ahead and take this to the outro. So this has been Commander Cast episode 218. I'm gonna go ahead and thank everyone for coming out today. Uh, just thank this. Was, this was a ton of fun. I, I'm really excited for Battle of Zendikar. It was great hearing what everyone else thought. Just go ahead and pass out that content information. So, Calvin, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, if people want to reach out and touch me, they can contact me on Twitter at Captain Rhythm. Phrasing. Or email, email. Shut up. Hit <laughs> me up with an email and Gmail at CaptainRizzo at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the Facebook page and hit us up over there. I'm typically over there with Judd and Waffle Cone. You know, like, trolling around, keeping an eye on you guys. Or, you know, if you really want to contact us and you want to, like, contact other members of the Commander Craft community, you can hit us up on Reddit as well. All right. And, Clay, if people want to reach you, how can we do that? Uh, people can find me on the Internet, on the Twitter and the Gmail and the Reddit as EDHPanda. Um, also, my girlfriend Mallory and I stream on, on occasion on Twitch as Pandelpaca. It's down there in the show notes. You can also find us on Tumblr and Twitter under that same name. Um, even though it will be too late to advertise this, because this will be... You'll probably be listening to this after next Monday, but tomorrow night, because Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer is coming out, we're having a big party on our stream to celebrate. Um, yeah, so you three that are on this call with me. If you want to come hang out, you totally can. Uh, but, sorry, uh, listeners, but it's probably too late. You could watch the, the archive footage, I guess. 
Yeah, as long as you're not using any copyrighted music. Stupid Twitch logs. <laughs> All right. Oh, dude! I just realized! What? So, John Clemens posted a post to our Facebook page, and he pointed out that Amiria combos with Psalm Simulacrum and also a free sack outlet. Because Amiria Shepherd says landfall. Oh, yeah. Um, Whenever land enters play, you can return a not land permit. Yeah, Sakura Tribal does that too. Yeah, but see, Amiria Shepherd says planes. Yeah, so Sakura Tribal, you go find all of your planes. I mean, I guess, but Psalm Or you play Prismatic Omen and go find all of your. uh... But Psalm lets you draw a card. And so I realized. I, I suppose that's true. So I realized that when you combo that with Retreat to Amiria, you just get all the stuff. I suppose. So, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? It's all Gmail all the time, people. And I do apologize, actually. I do have a backlog of emails I have to get to. I haven't been ignoring you guys. It's just I've got school emails I've got to get to and whatnot. I, I find, like, this Saturday, I'm just going to sit down with, like, a couple cups of coffee and just bang out, like, a bunch of emails I've been meaning to get to. Oh, that's the way to do it. All right. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me, wiehernandez at gmail.com. Twitter, I'm at luran1409. If you want to get in touch with us here at Commander Cast proper, uh, just go ahead. Hit us up on the Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at CommanderCast. Email us, CommanderCast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a subreddit, our CommanderCast. And leave us a review on iTunes. We have any five-star reviews on air. And if I somehow miss yours, go ahead and just message us in one of those aforementioned avenues. Because then we can go ahead and catch the ones that we missed. Like this one, from Dixie. Amazing, fun, and entertaining. Five stars. This is probably the best podcast for EDH Commander formats of MTG Card Game. It discusses everything about the card, makes it fun and entertaining, and the cast is amazing. I only hoped it was a daily thing, but it being weekly is almost as good. If you like Magic Gathering and you like Commander, this is the podcast you need. Oh dear God, I can't imagine doing this daily. I mean, if I was doing this as like my full-time job, I could probably come up with like more production stuff and do like video stuff, but that would actually depend on the Patreon doing incredibly well. Like we'd think probably saying 2K well. Oh boy. So let's see. Thanks to everyone who contributes to our website. You're all fantastic people. And I would definitely trust most of you to run the podcast for me in my absence. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 Rock. Check them out on YouTube. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! that if this was daily, then that means the show itself would be slightly shorter. Well, but it means that we would dangly wouldn't... bits would be... No, I would say, like, the, yeah. the show would be slightly shorter, but the dangly bits part would be, like, the daily content. Honestly, if it was, like, daily, we would have to reduce it to, like, either an hour or half an hour, 
And it would also have to be live streamed. If it, yeah, it, it used to be like that. Commander Cast Sports Center or something like that. Hmm. I mean, if we did do if we did do daily, we could do like uh record like a two hour show, and yeah. then sometime during the week record another one. Like we'd have to record twice a week. One show, the main show, would go up on Monday, and, and the other one would be broken down to be bits that would go up on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday. Well, it would be instead of doing the week. So, like, we could have like just a one day recording session where we record multiple episodes in a day, but then all those episodes would have to be broken up and taken over the week. Like, if we just did half hour stuff, then we would have enough for from just this session, since three hours, we would have enough for six days. Yeah, but that's not saying it's like if we did like a. If we did two recordings like this, like we did one on Wednesday and did one on Thursday, that way we could put one up on Monday, that would be a full episode, or like on Friday, that would be like a full episode, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and whatever the other four days would be, would get like, here's the community, here's the strategy, here's the technology segment from this other episode, here's the full episode, and here's the day, uh, the weekly dangly bit. Yeah, oh, well. I, I just wanted to ask if you have played Mass Effect before. Oh, yeah. Although I've still, like, I played Mass Effect 1 and 2. I have not done 3, and I have successfully avoided spoilers for Mass Effect 3 for the past, like, seven years. Wow, so, that is amazing. Yeah, I, I actually, know. Because Steam was having a sale for the, the Mass Effect bundle for 1 and 2, so I actually finally right, got it, definitely. and I played it for the first time yesterday. Yeah. Mass Effect 1 is kind of rough. Mass Effect 2 is really good. I cannot speak to Mass Effect 3, but, um, yeah, man, it's awesome. I've just been heavy into Metal Gear Solid 5, so that's all I've been doing is just snatching motherfuckers with Fulton balloons. <laughs> Alright. But while you're here, Calvin, I did want to tell you about the morass story that I went through this week. So, the uh, a couple weeks ago, I took the alpha version of the morass deck to Tuesday Night EDH in my shop, which is in Roundsburg, Ohio. It's called Card Academy. You should probably come check us out. And I had some fun with that, like the instant speed token making and stuff. Yeah, it was some fun, but I decided that I needed to kind of build it from the ground up with, like, the staples and ramp and removal and interaction and stuff like that, just so that I would have a functioning deck that can, you know, interact with the board, as is wont for me to do when I build my decks. Because what I did with it originally was I went, okay, we're just going to chalk it full of fun stuff, and then we'll go from there. This time I just kind of rebuilt it, like I set aside all the cards that I knew I absolutely wanted in the deck, and then I started with the sta- with the staples and the base and the foundation, then put the fun stuff in, and then I went from there. Took the deck to EDH, and I played two games. The thing is, though, I played a total of five hours of EDH. First game was one one hour, and I won that with a ridiculous board state. Like, we're talking uh, Course of the Conclave to get my guys 3-3, Dictate of Helia to give them 2-2. I've got the Champion of Lambholds so that they can't block. So they they just can't block. They've got the uh, Wild Beast Mask Caller so that everyone's getting plus six, plus six. Like, this is just a stupid board state. So who are you actually playing against? And uh, what decks were they playing? Uh, let's see. There was a... Let's see. It was... Okay, I think it might have actually been three games. Because this was the second one, I want to say. This was against a... Frack, what was it? Okay, one of them was Carador. Uh, the other one was... I want to say Mayal. Yeah, it, yeah, it was Mayal. And the other one was... Oh, what was Dylan playing? Um... See, Dylan was dead. I think he was probably playing his Loro deck, which is a super friends build. So, 
yeah, dealing with Carador. Carador's gone had living deaths like twice and stuff. Uh, Alora's dead. Mayas just kind of hanging on like she keeps having to get a creature out to deal with so that Shieldred doesn't eat Mayal and stuff like that. And I win that game with just stupid stuff. Like he has a Rurthar out. And Rurthar actually gets me down to like two life. But then I get the, oh, we like to call him the Soul Sister action going. Where I go, okay, we're going to play Essence Warden, and we're going to play Soul Warden, and then once you know it, I'm going to play Avenger of Zendikar. Get, like, nine plants, and that's going to be, oh, just 18 life out of nowhere. And then, you know what, on top of that, we're going to go ahead and play the, oh, uh, what was what was that new green one? It's the, it's not Collective Oncosh, it's like Visions or something like that. You draw a card for each creature you have, but it also has ferocious gain for life for each creature you have four or greater, so I just skyrocket in life. I have no idea who that, what card that is. But now that you mention it, Soul Wardens, the Soul Sister package does sound like it would be actually good in a Marauf deck, because this Marauf can be used to put tokens in. You could just use them as a nice way to gain some life as well. Yeah, no, I, that's actually the whole reason why I have the Soul Sister package in there. Because, like, I've been curious, I've been interested in, the, in, like, a Soul Sister EDH deck for a while, because that's my modern deck. And I tried it in white-black, but it didn't really work out for me. So instead, I put it in Marath, and I saw Soul Sisters every game. Like, if I think about how many Soul Sisters I have, I've got, like, your Soul Warden, Souls Attended, uh, Essence Wardens, the green one. So that's three. There's the, uh, actually, hold on, let me go, I'm going to go grab my Marath deck real quick. What about the Phyrexian one? Uh, yeah, the Phyrexian one's, yeah, the Phyrexian one's one of them. Shastani's in there. I count Elspeth Tyrell as, like, the sixth soul sister because she gives you a life for every creature you have when she pluses. Uh, let's see. Which one was this? This is the Phyrexian one. Soul Sutra Priest. Like, yeah, all of the soul... I think I only have, like, seven creatures in this deck, actually, now that I think about it. But, like, most of them... Are, no, it can't be seven. It's got to be close, close to, like, ten or eleven. Maybe fifteen or something like that. I don't know. But, like, a, li- a good portion of these are Soul Sisters, and those kept me in games that I had no right being in, because I was taking so much damage from stuff like Rukthar. And also Mana Bars with a Dragon Lord Culligan deck. And so, like, it gets to the point where I'm actually even help- giving the Carador advice on what he should be doing to try and win the game. And, okay, he doesn't win the game, because it turns out I can just Boros Charm him because he's at two, and he dies. And then I just kill the Mayao player. But the real st- and okay, so fantastic game, awesome. Uh, nobody had answers to anything I am on my board. I had an Eldrazi monument out, and Marath was pumping out tokens, so everything's good there. I got to see what my deck does in the next game, just when it's absolutely pushed on the ropes, though. And this is the game that really kind of endeared Marath to me and solidified the fact that Marath is my new Naya commander. So we start playing again. We've got Drana Mono Black. We've got Aloro Super Friends again. Nickel Bolas, and then my deck. The game st- kind of starts slowly for me, but it becomes apparent that Aloru is playing a lot of Planeswalkers, as he's wont to do. Nickel Bolas is doing some stuff. I'm playing some uh, spirity stuff to try and keep Bolas from making me drop my whole hand. And I've got Elspeth out, just getting me shit tons of life. Like, I've only got, like, three to five tokens out, but I'm just plussing Elspeth and nagging Elspeth to make some more soldiers, so she's getting me a lot of life. <sighs> And I end up actually using Elspeth the Wrath Alora's board twice. So, like, I get to keep my tokens in Elspeth, but I end up trying to board wipe it twice, and he's still in this game after all this. I go ahead and I swing out, 
And I didn't realize that he had the Liliana emblem out. The one that says, all your swamps tap for four. Because he only had two lands. He like a, an Orzhov land and a swamp. He taps him, and he plays comeuppance, and just wipes my reward. Like, I sacrificed Elspeth to who, to Wrath's board, get, get all clear, and then just, just knock him down to near death. And he wipes my board. We keep going. And this game goes on for four hours. Over the course of that four hours, it's us three against the Alora Super Friends player, who also manages to get out his chain veil. He goes near infinite on Soren emblem triggers, but he makes the mistake of getting Soren up to nine and then negative, negative six, so he gets like one emblem. Put Soren at three loyalty. I shoot him with Morath in response, because I had exactly the three mana from Morath. The whole game at that point is just me playing Morath over and over again, because wouldn't you know it, Nico Bolas made everyone lose their hand with a Sire of Insanity. So literally, the only thing I do is like, okay, did I get a creature that I want to play? No? Okay, we'll play Morath. Just trying to shoot some walkers. And either Morath is dying, or just giving some damage off. Like, Morath shut, Morath killed a fucking lot of planeswalkers that game. And finally, you know, the Jonah player has to leave because his, his ride came home. And also Gideon punched him to death. And that's, that, that's literally... The Aloro deck's only win condition at this point is animate Gideon, plus him a couple of times with a Johnny, Chain Veil, and just punch people in the face. Like, this is a true Planeswalker control deck. And the Bolas player and I are just sitting there. It's not the worst off, because we're drawing two cards a turn, thanks to Aloro's uh, Well of Wishes, so he's drawing three cards a turn. But he's drawing three cards a turn against two people who can't do anything against Planeswalkers right now. And it gets to the point where... He gets his Tezzeret Age of Bolhas out. He's got his Elspeth and stuff. And he just shoots... He, he kills Nicol Bolas with Tezzeret's Limit Break. And then he makes me draw 40 cards by using Jace Memory Death's Limit Break like twice, which is draw 20 cards. So I've got three cards left in my deck. I've got Morath tapped down from Tamiyo. With the rest of the mana I have, I shoot whatever Planeswalkers I can. Like, no, Tezzeret is not killing me this game. Uh, get Els- Get Tamiyo down. So not only has he made me draw, like, all these 40-plus cards, but he also has Narset's Limit Break off, so I can't even cast any of the non-creature ones. Which, I don't, again, like I said earlier, I've got, like, maybe 15 creatures in this deck. Like, no instants, no sorceries, no enchantments, nothing. So I just drop everything else into my graveyard. Fortunately, I do have Morath, and Morath kills Tamiyo, which is really important, because when I realized that Narset was about to Limit Break, I started dumping non-creature spells out of my hand as fast as I could, and one of them was the Bow of Nylea. So he was counting on decking me out to win that game. He even got used Tommy to freeze it for a turn. But because I had that bow, I never got decked out, and he was drawing three cards a turn. We had realized, like, after hour two, that the only way we were going to beat Aloru was that he decked himself out. And that's exactly what happened. He decked himself out before I did, because I had the Bow of Nylea, and Morath was literally fireballing every planeswalker he could get his filthy horns on. Like, holy shit. I was sitting there almost the entire game with virtually no hand, and it's just Morath, fireball planeswalkers, fireball planeswalkers. Oh my god. I put so much value on commanders that do stuff without their deck, but are built, but the deck's built to synergize with them, and just Morath did so much for me. I am absolutely 100% sold on Morath being Naya Token's deck for me now. Sounds like you've had a really good game, and I personally can't really knock anything you've done with Morath. 
uh, only things like uh, because with me, Marath has always been pretty good anyway, especially with that uh, ring cycle that came out. That uh, what was it? It came out. I think it was like M14. I think it was the ring where of the equipment. Yeah, like the ring thing was like, yeah, if the creature's a certain color, it gets a plus one, plus one counter, but it also gets this effect and this ability or whatever the case may be. And I find those to be very useful in a Marath deck because if you equip him with those three rings, you get three plus one plus three plus one plus one counters on him that you can just kind of reuse for either making dudes or burn or whatever. So, and like, and I... since he can transfer plus one plus one counters to other creatures, you can basically take, you can use him, get the counters on him, and then use his effect to put the counters on him. So if you have the green ring, you can still use the plus one, plus one counters and move it over to your, like, red or white creature. See, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, when I made the deck, I decided that one of the things that I wanted to do was not include stuff that would be pretty much only good with Marath. Like, I've got Catfish Crusade and Bow in there that have plus one, plus one counter interactions, but I didn't want stuff that I would go, okay, this card just doesn't do anything if I don't have Marath, like Hardened Scales or the, uh, the Night Peddler. I mean, don't get me wrong, Bowdenily is awesome without Marath, but it's just super awesome, because then I could, with Marath, because it's giving it counters, he's attacking and shooting stuff, and stuff like that. But I really like what I've done with the deck. In fact, I'm actually going to try and get the deck uh, on Tapped Out tonight, and get it into the show notes, so that you can check it out later, and let me know what you think. Right. But the main, I'll definitely give it a check. But, like, what I was saying was, because my Marath, the way I currently have, well, I have, like, two of them built, and I'm working on a third. The, not, not, we're not talking about the 99 lands one though, so, but the one that I do have built, I put the rings in there because the deck itself is designed to be converted into a tiny leaders deck. So ah. in case I do decide to play tiny leaders, pretty much all I do is just grab all the cards that's in a deck that have a converted mana cost of three or less. Those instantly go into the tiny leaders deck, and then I only have to find 24 lands to put into it to build it into a 60 card deck. Yeah, and nope. those 24 lands can be whatever lands I happen to pull out that I think would be useful for me. So in case, even if I forget, as long as I put a nice balance in of like the dual lands and the non-basics, or the basics, then I'm fine. And I can just go ahead and play Tiny Leader that way. Yep. Also, Vakunity, All-Star, like that second game where I just won ridiculously was because I had Vakunity out, and each time he went to Living Death, I either had a massive board of tokens out, or I had Maratha out. And I just went, okay, spend all the counters on Marath, make a bunch of elementals, let Marath die, draw a card off that. Living Death happens? Okay, stack on my tokens, draw cards, put Marath back on the board, let Marath go back to command zone. Like, I, I never really quite appreciated just how much stupid value Marath can get you. Yeah, like, the thing for Marath is, is that it's just one of those, like, he's just a really solid, like, card. I mean, the ability to put plus one, plus one counters on things can t- have a tendency, can, t- can typically be overlooked. Because if you're not playing with other creatures, the plus one counters don't really matter, you know? Yep. But if you are playing things that does, where the counters do matter, then it works. But just him on his own, it's like he's able to make an army of himself. He's able to make uh, fireballs and damage creatures and planeswalkers and players. And then he can also put the plus one, plus one counters on the creatures he's previously made. So if you could make a token that's like a 3-3, three, three, but you need a 5-5, five, five, you could just take some counters off Marath and put it on that, and then just recast Marath later. So he, like, works so well with himself that, like, a lot of the interactions, like, all the other interactions in the deck are nice, but Marath is just like, do you have mana? You can, don't worry, as long as you can, as long as nothing's keeping you from playing Marath, you can go ahead and keep doing stuff. And since he's, uh, three only three mana, 
you don't have, you know, I don't have to worry about someone telling me that I can't even with Marath. Good, because I don't need to even. Marath is odd, so I'll just play him. Also, Calvin, have you ever heard of artifact mutation and aura mutation? Artifact mutation and aura mutation. I've heard of them. I can't remember what they do. What okay, was it? so get this. Artifact mutation is green and a red. Aura mutation is green and a white. And they both do essentially the same thing. They're both instants. Aura mutation says destroy target enchantment. Artifact mutation says destroy target artifact. But they both say put X 1-1 green sapling creature tokens onto the battlefield where X is that card's converted mana cost. Those cards were all-stars. Like, I could literally just go, okay, uh, pay green and white, we're going to aura mutation, destroy your uh, future site, get five saps, tap all five saps for... Wait, uh, repeat that? What, what, what were the converted mana cost for those things again? So, destroy future site, which costs five. So I get five sapling no, tokens. No, but like, no, but what is it? It's, They're both what two. What the color of something? It's a green-white oh, instant and a green-red instant, so you can sum forger for them. Okay. Not because for some reason I thought you were talking about... Because I remember there was one of them that's like green-blue that destroys like a... I think it's a creature and then you get tokens. Um, maybe... I don't... It would have to be a green-black one. Because, Why would you, it have to be green-black? Um, because it was... I remember an effect like that and it was in green-black. Like it was a destroy target permanent or something like that. Yeah, not... not, not but anyway, ignore, ignore me what I'm... Ignore what I'm saying. Continue. Yeah. But those cards are amazing. Like, Nissa's Expedition is the, uh, not the, what was the Slizzy mechanic? Convoke. There we go. So, like, I can literally just go destroy a five target artifact or enchantment for two mana and then tap all those tokens to just get two free basic, basic lands. Not only that, but it's like, I was already looking for ways to make tokens at instant speed that were on spells. So, like, your Midnight Haunting, uh, Benevolent Offering, Gideon's Phalanx, and stuff like that. But this is just removal with tokens stable to it. It's like, no matter what you destroy, you get at least one token. And that is so good. Right. And, like, you know, I, I like the idea of tokens being, like, tacked on, like, um, similar to, like, the life gain thing. It's like, some, some effects are good, but they're better when they're combined with another effect. Like, you know, gaining five life, you know, I wouldn't play it. But if I'm gaining five life and getting something else like destroying a permanent or getting a token or drawing a card, then I might be more inclined to do it because it's like, yeah, I'm getting this plus I'm getting something else. So at that point, like the um, one of these effects, like whipped cream on top of the ice cream, if something else is better. It's, it's the other. I'm basically doing it for this, but this also makes me you choose this card over others. Yep. Just. And so happy. I'm actually kind of waiting to see if, if it's one of those moments where it's like, if I did work at Wizards, this would probably be like an idea that I would use for a set. Just build like, cause you know, I had the, the like Zendikar is like the all land set. I would want to do a set where it's like, here's all the mediocre things that we have. I want to see how many good cards we can get by combining this mediocre thing and that mediocre thing and put it into a set. Let's see. Also, I put must. Dairy Mentor into this deck, and that is also really good. Just, like, cast random... Because I'm looking at my deck list now. On, mm-hmm. I was right. I only have 16 creatures in this deck that aren't morale. So, gotcha. Monastery Mentor triggers off just about everything. So I'm like, okay, free token. Awesome.
Madagascar.com.